Turn it and burn it. Pilot episode, poker show I'll be running here on PokerFraudAlert.com. Not sure if I'm going to be running it weekly, monthly, bi-yearly. It's just going to be spur of the moment. Um, You know, whenever I have some content to talk about. Um, Feels good to be back on. I I ran the Zone Blitz show all through football season. Had fun doing that. And, um, you know, that was pretty easy for me to do. um, Because... You know, it's uh, a lot of stuff that I like to talk about, and, you know, when you have stuff that you know a little bit about or a lot about, it becomes very easy to talk about. So, um, we'll get into this in just a second here. I just want to make sure the sound's okay. Someone says, turn it up. Um, what, what do you guys think? Is this loud enough? Do I need it louder? Uh, I could try and turn it up whatever I can. One second here. Uh, all right, sounds fine. All right, good. Um, all right, so tonight's going to be a poker show. Give you uh, my history dating back all the way to when I started gambling up until this second. Um, maybe a little bit of strategy. I'm not going to be breaking down hands, but, I mean, I have a lot of stuff here that, you know, a lot of recreation players or, you know, maybe even break-even players might probably help you a lot. Uh, a lot of stuff that if I knew this stuff when I was breaking into poker, I mean, I probably would have taken it more seriously back in, you know, 2003, 2004, and 
who knows, possibly be retired right now, but I just wasn't smart enough back then, and I wasn't aggressive enough about getting into the game and trying to become a pro. I was just more of a gambler back then, and at some point the light just switched on where I turned to to cards as my main source of income, and I haven't stopped even after Black Friday. Um, I've continued to make a living. Um, actually, I think I'm on my best six-month stretch ever right now, which is kind of odd considering game conditions and you know, the restrictions to United States players, but I'll get into all that in a little bit. Uh, first, I'm going to start off at with my history in gambling. Um, I can remember back even in the in the 80s when I was maybe 10, 11 years old, me and my brother playing a seven-card stud, uh, nines and threes of wild, uh, a variation called baseball, four get you a free card, um, pay X amount, and we used to bet for pizzas. We would bet for, uh, you know, we would bet for, like, paper route money, stuff like that. We'd gamble with baseball cards. Um, that's another thing uh, that really got my interest in gambling was, was the baseball card boom that happened in the late 80s. It got really big. For anyone that was around in the 80s, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, it was just a huge craze. Uh, cards, card prices spiked. I really started collecting cards when I was about 10 years old, and I used to take cards, and I'd go to baseball card stores all the time, all over the surrounding towns. And um, I would trade in, get packs, trade for cards, and it was just a form of gambling where I was always trying to get more valuable cards. So that's another thing that sparked my interest in gambling. Um, Fast forward to around 91, 92, I had an older brother about three or four years older than me. Him and his buddies would always play cards. Uh, You know, pots would get up to $50, $100. Playing games like AC Ducey, uh, variations of Hold'em called Hurricane, um, all different types of games. And I remember me and my friends started playing. I remember I won about, I don't know, maybe close to 30 sessions in a row versus these guys. And I always wanted to keep playing cards all through high school. But, you know, people get into other things, drinking, whatever, and people always weren't up for playing cards. Uh, Then after I get out of high school, um, I get into sports betting. doing a lot of running for books, uh, collecting money, stuff like that, from like 97 till 2003. Poker was on the back burner. This is when the online poker, not I wouldn't say the boom, the boom started maybe 2002, 2003, 2004, but at that point I was just mainly into sports betting, uh, hanging out at bars, drinking a lot. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have up to 10 grand wagered on some games at times. You know, more often than not, you know, I'd have good months, but more often than not, it would always end bad for me when I was sports betting. Got into some big holes, uh, had some weeks, I had one week where I lost 30 or 40 grand, um, maybe only had like 20K, 20K to my name, I had to pay that other 20 grand back, wasn't a good feeling, and, uh, right around that time, the poker boom started, um, you know, you see Chris Moneymaker, all these guys on TV, uh, you know, my friends started playing live games, uh, one, two, no limit, two, four, no limit, um, playing those locally and the games were so soft. Um, but the problem was, you know, we didn't have dealers. We'd deal ourselves and, you know, I did pretty good in those games, but still nothing towards a, a pro career at the time I was working as a sous chef right around that time in a kitchen. I actually owned my own kitchen, um, at a bar locally and, um, you know, we'd have games there at night and during the day. And, I mean, these games were so soft. There was a couple of guys in there. One was uh, – one guy was a pretty – he was a big drug dealer, and he used to play in the game, and he he would just shoot off, like, $2,000 in, like, two hours. Then he would borrow, 
in uh but you know that that only lasts so long you get guys like that in the game you kill you just kill them everything was going good um finally i i, I learned about online poker around eh, 2004 uh my first screen name was outright on ultimate bet um deposited a hundred dollars lost it quick uh, i remember i went on vacation and this is how i got the name china maniac uh, my friend's name is timothy lee He's as Irish as can be, and uh, we used to call him the Chinaman just because his last name was Lee, um, just a correlation like Bruce Lee, and I remember I thought it was funny. So I downloaded Poker Stars maybe around then in 2004, and um, I tried to get the name Chinaman, but it was gone, so I just added the IAC on it, so that's how I became China Maniac. Uh, I think my first deposit on Poker Stars, I hadn't even really been that, that much of a limit player. Um, only played mostly no limit up until then. I think I went to Foxwoods, played some limit, um, you know, had some winning sessions, had some losing sessions, only playing like 510, 510 kill, some 1020. Um, but I deposited on stars and instantly I ran, I think 200 into like $3,000 over a three day span with like no, um, fixed limit hold'em experience at all. Uh, I think it was like a 48 or 60 hour session, something like that. I was straight as could be. And I just, the enjoyment of, I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. I could just sit here and just play at my computer, and um, it was, um, you know, it was just a great feeling, because, you know, I'd, I'd love to gamble, and uh, I just thought it was a great, great way to do it, you could just sit at your house, and, you know, do everything um, at your own pace, and then um, I think I jumped up to like 10, 20, 15, 30, and um, I lost all 3,000, like maybe the next session, can't remember exactly what happened, but at the time, that's when the 100, 200 games sprang up on stars, those were the biggest games i think on on the internet at the time for like uh most of the sites i know some of the euro sites had bigger action ultimate bet i think had 300 600 um but the main game online was that 100 200 game on stars you know uh dan Droff, who owns poker fraud alert he was a stalwart in that game uh reggie man was a stalwart in that game uh mike mizraki uh guys like rab scuttle never win mr lucky i used to rail these games and um you know, I'm just like, wow, these guys were like heroes to me. I'm like, I wish I could be, you know, I'd love to play in these games, but I could never see myself with the type of bankroll. And, you know, I just thought I could never reach a level where um, to be as good as these guys. It was just, uh, I was just in awe watching them. I'd, I'd sit home sometimes for like 10 hours and just rail these games, kind of watch how they're playing, seeing what they're doing. And, um, you know, I just wish looking back, I took it more seriously and studied harder and, you know, tried to run it up and get into these games. Cause looking back now for what I know now, if I could play in those games now, I mean, it was just millions of dollars maybe to even be one. If, um, you know, if I knew what I know now back then, uh, just the, the upside could be tremendous and, um, props to any of those guys that still have money from those games. And I think Druff's one of them, um, Druff played in those games. And I, I would guess most of those guys got probably most of their bankrolls creamed as uh you know the the new age internet players came in or they tried to play in higher games uh a lot of these guys went broke but um you know i, I always give druff a lot of respect for um i'm pretty sure he held on to a lot of the money he won back in those days and um you know i'd say 95 percent of those guys are probably either not playing poker anymore or broke or being staked or in a lot of debt right now um so move on. Um, I remember a time back then I had 10 cents in my poker stars account, ran it up to, I ran 10 cents up to 3000 one day. Uh, 
I was home one night. I think I was. I came home from the bars. I was drinking. I, I think I had eight cents actually. Back then, you could buy into one cent, two cent game, and uh, I ran it up to three k. It took me about eighteen hours or so, and then I moved to thirty sixty, and I think I lost it all in ten or fifteen minutes. So, um, moving on, uh, you know, I started reading a lot, just soaking in a lot of information on the internet. Um, you know, reading a lot of Druff's posts back on NWP in the um, in the Ask Druff forum or in the strategy forums, um, you know, asking questions, just, you know, trying to see how the pro players thought and, you know, trying to get better. I started reading a lot of books, and um, I remember I entered a tournament on full tilt one night, 24 plus 2 midnight. I won about 4 or 5K. Um, I remember back then uh, Brian Townsend was one of the best players online, and he was actually in that tournament. And I knocked him out with about 18 to go. And, uh, you know, I thought I was a superstar because I knocked out uh, S. Brugby on full tilt. And I wound up taking down that tournament for like four or five grand. Uh, the next night I final tabled the tournament. And uh, actually looking back, I'm kind of glad that I didn't get sucked into the tournament scene because I think it's a big pitfall for anyone that's trying to play, uh, trying to make a living playing tournaments is very difficult. That's why a lot of guys are staked or a lot of guys are in debt or a lot of guys are in a lot of makeup. Because these tournaments, the people don't understand the variance in these and the, the amount of luck that's involved. You got a guy like, uh, I'll use Jason Mercier as an example. Um, he's still, he, I'm not saying he's broke or anything or not a good player. He's a fantastic player, but you have to catch a heater like that guy caught over a two, three year span to make these things sustainable. And for every Jason Mercier, there's, you know, 50 or 100 guys trying to do the same thing that just. They flop out. So, I mean, it takes a, a high degree of skill, but at the same time, it takes a high degree of luck. And I think it's totally opposite with cash games where if you're good enough, you could you could win 30, 40 sessions in a row. You could, uh, you know, you're going to have some downswings, but the upswings, if you're good enough, are going to far outweigh the downswings. And you can make a sustainable living over a long period of time without worrying about... Um, you know, going into huge vari- huge variance type things if you're doing things the right way and you can drop down when when you need to and stuff like that. So um, anyhow, enough rambling on about that. I took that money. I put it on the full tilt. I decided I was going to I was going to bonus whore around and I was going to try and run it up and maybe make a run it as a as a professional player. At the time, I was still working as a sous chef um, at my buddy's restaurant that he opened a couple towns from me. But in my spare time, I mean, I'd get home from work and I would play, you know, six, eight, ten hours a night, b- barely get any sleep, go to work, and I would do that pretty much seven days a week. Um, I think I won about ten, ten grand or something, fifteen thousand maybe max on full tilt, cleared my bonus, and then I moved over to AP. Um, I was crushing the twenty-five fifty games over there at the time. I probably wasn't a favorite in the games definitely wasn't a favorite at the time there were better players in there than me but there were there were a lot of guys spewing around uh there were very good games and i remember i won a little bit of money at this was back net teller was still around and um you know i was moving I was just gonna my plan was just move money site to site uh get these bonuses get the best rake back possible as i could clear the bonus and move on to the next site um well AP, I got in a 25-50 game one night. I think I had like seven or 8000 on there, and I had a bunch of money in Net Teller too. And I remember I had a guy on my left in that game who just played absolutely insane, completely berating me left and right. Um, 
you know, making call downs, like putting in four bets, pre-flop, flop, turn, river, and then I'd have to lay it down on the river, and he would just show me the most insane garbage. And um, I just said, I'm never playing on this network again, and I didn't play on that network again for years. I think I tried to deposit some money later when I started, when I became a heads-up pro just for more action, um, and I knew the risks going along with that. But, you know, a couple of years after that session, it came out that there, there were people cheating in that game. I don't know for sure. I never got my hand histories, but I always felt I was cheated in that 25-50 game. I wish I had the hand histories and the chat logs from this guy. But uh, they did a pretty good job of covering up all the AP stuff um, as far as not letting those hand histories out. Um, somebody's got to have them somewhere. I hope they come out some sometime. Joe Seabock promised them to me, but you guys know he promised a lot of things. None of that came through. Um, so I never got those hand histories. Um, it was the most fishiest games ever. So uh, 2007 or so, you know, I messed around. I was playing up till 1020. I used to, um, you know, I'd go out, get hammered. I'd come home. And at the time, I think I had to deposit using like uh, like the green dot cards or Visa Vanillas, and I'd deposit like a thousand at a time, and I would play like five, ten, ten, twenty, and I'd usually win a little, win a good amount, and then I'd move up and lose it all, and it was the same thing, rinse, repeat for a while. Um, I was probably a good enough player to beat the games. I just didn't have any bankroll management, and you know, as I got ten, twelve, twelve drinks deep. Probably started making some bad decisions, and uh, I always went broke back then. I would just keep going broke over and over. Um, but at the time, I wasn't playing. My goal wasn't to, you know, I wasn't trying. I was trying to make money, but it, it wasn't the end game. I, I didn't have an end game back then. It was just just play and reload when you needed to. So um, move on to, like, around 2009. Uh, I got laid off as a sous chef. Had a little bit of money. I was collected unemployment. Um I was still studying and studying and studying, and I said, you know what, it's time to make a run at um, a professional player this year, and I remember, um, I think I borrowed, like, uh, I couldn't deposit for some reason on PokerStars, there was just no way to deposit at the time, so Ship the Chips was uh, doing pretty well back then, he always had money on Stars, I borrowed $100 from him, I played 1-2 Limit, which is a game I used to play a lot and actually make a lot of money, and you'd think that... You can't make money in that game, but that one-two limit game on stars, I mean, there were just so many people on the flops, and, you know, if you, you, you played aggressive but played, you know, new, just jammed those pots up when you had big draws or good hands, you could make a lot of money. I ran, like, 100 into, like, 1,000 or 1,500 playing, like, one-two. Then uh, I staked my buddy the side dish uh, in, a, like, a $27 tournament on poker stars. Side dish, then won that tournament for about three grand. So, added another fifteen hundred to my bankroll. So right now I'm sitting on around twenty five hundred. I probably won like another thousand playing like one two two four limit. My bankroll was up to about thirty five hundred. And then I said, you know what? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make a run and and maybe try to become a pro here. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can run it up. I wasn't drinking at the time. Uh, I just quit smoking. I stopped drinking. I moved out of my hometown where. You know, I used to go out and I'd stay up for uh, one, two days sometimes, just drinking, uh, partying a lot. Big thing for me in my life was moving out of my hometown. And I actually live back in that area now, but those days are pretty much behind me. Uh, I don't go out much anymore. Um, I think I had a few beers the first time the other night, first time in about six months. So that was a big thing for me to, you know, get out of the party scene. Um, you know, I was I was getting into my 30s and... Um, Anyhow, I moved. Um, I moved a couple towns from Boston, actually the city of Quincy, and that's when um, 
where I'm at right now, where I was at the time. And um, so I had about a $3,000 bankroll, decided to uh, go for Supernova on Poker Stars. I started multi-table in 3-6. Won about another three to five thousand dollars. Got supernova in about three months. And uh, that money that I staked the side dish with, the side dish, he 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 got about fifteen hundred or two thousand. I can't remember the amount out of the stake. And um, he actually um, he took that and he went and played Richard Brody Quiet Lion on full tilt. I think he started at like fifteen thirty. He crushed him for like a couple thousand. He moved to thirty sixty. He crushed him for like another five thousand. Then he moved to fifteen hundred crushed them for a bunch again and then i think they were playing 100 200 and this all came from the money that i had that he had won off a stake that i i staked them into and uh he actually ran that up to about 70 or 80 grand i think and uh then he hit a little downswing but i think he quit with about 50k and just uh didn't really play much anymore just took the money uh i think he bought a brand new cadillac or something but um you know he's a really good player and um you know, he crushed it. So at the time, this was 2009, I was playing three, six, six max on poker stars. Uh, you know, I was up a good amount and I hit a downswing right before the world series of poker. I might play, I was going to go out to the world series that year. And I did, uh, first time I met like draw never win Mike on a lot of guys from the forums. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was still trying to build my bankroll up in, uh, you know, I hit a big downswing before I went there. I, I think I lost about, I don't know, I lost about 80% of what I had on there, but I kept getting money back and bonuses from stars. So I had a workable bankroll, but it, m- mostly that game was, if, if you were, if you hit, you could hit a downswing multi-tabling in that game, and you could do this in any game, um, especially with the high rake that was at that 3-6 limit game on stars. Um, you could hit some downswings fast. So I hit a big downswing, went out to the World Series. Um, I remember... Uh, I was talking to my friend uh, Seta King, still posts on, um, still posts here on Poker Fraud Alert. And, um, he said to me, he says, Mark, why don't, why don't you play heads up? He goes, I've been playing some heads up limit. And, um, you know, you could run up some money fast. You're good enough to beat like 90% of the guys. And uh, I said, okay. So I gave it a shot. I stopped playing six max. Um, and I jumped in. I would just, I would go to Poker Stars. I would open up um, three, six limit, five, 10 limit. And I would just sit there. At the time, it was just me, and there was like two other guys. Uh, me and maybe two, three other guys sitting at 3, 6, 5, 10, and 10, 20. And this was 2009. Um, it's just amazing. I'd just sit there every day, and nonstop action. Someone would jump on the table. And um, if, the, I, if they, I felt they were equally skilled as me, or, um, or if I felt that they were, um, you know, they could give me some trouble, I would just quit them. A lot of times guys would be like, you know, you're a pussy. Why don't you keep playing blah, 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 faggot this, just play me, you know? And, you know, I'd look at, I'd look them, look at their graphs on like poker table ratings and like a, a month after that. And, you know, these guys are just break even players losing. Well, I just sat there every day. I just waited for weak competition and I just destroyed people. And, uh, eventually I became, I think the, the all time winningest player at three, six on poker stars and heads up, um, which is something that that I'm proud of, but at the same time, you know, if I was smart, I would have aggressively taken shots and moved up, but hindsight's 2020. Uh, same thing with the 510 games. I would kill those, and then, uh, you know, I added 1020 into the mix. Um, one thing that I really regret looking back now is not moving over to full tilt as I was playing at Poker Stars. I didn't like the full tilt software, 
But at the time, I was I was making good enough money for me. I mean, I was making one two thousand a week, just playing three six and five ten heads up, just destroying guys. Um, wish I added full tilt um, later in two thousand nine. I did. Um, and it was just so easy. The money was so easy. You just never. Th- I just never thought it was going to stop. And then uh, 2010, I mean, the lobbies must have grown from me and two guys sitting at 1020. Now, next thing you know, there's 15 guys sitting at 1020. Then uh, I moved up and I started adding 1530. Now I'm playing on full tilt and stars. As those lobbies grew, uh, something that was very smart that I did, I actually had a prop account that I got about a year before on absolute, on a, actually it was on Carbon Poker, um, which is a pretty big site for U.S. players now. But I, got a, I had a prop account sitting on Carbon Poker. And uh, I think this is a mistake a lot of people make. A lot of people are just like, oh, I'll just stick with Poker Stars and I'll just stick with Full Tilt. Um, you know, and they don't explore other avenues. You know, they just play there because they're the biggest sites. But for me, I, um, you know, I said I saw the lobbies were getting full. My action was getting trimmed down. I wasn't getting as much action. So I, um, so I, I opened up my Carbon account. I had a prop account there. I was getting like 90% rake back. I just never used it. Because, uh, you know, it's almost like a, people get snobby about it. Though. Oh, no, I'll, I'll only play stars in full tilt. I'm not going to trust that site, which is fine. I mean, you're obviously better off being on a lot of the big networks. But at the same time, little sites like that back then, and it's actually a decent-sized site now for U.S. players. But back then, um, you know, so back then it was a gold mine. It was an absolute gold mine. Uh, at this point, I started taking shots up to 3060. Um, I got a couple of my friends' accounts on there. I should have never told them about it. Uh, I think I got Set of Kings on there. I got my buddy Burn Saber on there and somebody else. And, uh, you know, we'd be pretty much the only guy sitting on there every day from 4.8 all the way up to 30.60, some cases 50.100. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of sports books tied on the merge network back then. This is in uh, 2000. This was in 2010. Um, and we'd just sit there every day. It was just nonstop action. And, you know, you'd open up stars and you'd look at the six max games and you'd see like five pros and one fish, you know, five pros just battling over one fish at six max. And here we are, we're sitting there just nonstop getting fish all day at 30, 60, uh, 50, 100, whatever. And we were just making a ton of money, um, you know, just running up 20, 30 K in, in bunches in like month, two months. Um, and we did pretty good. So, you know, a lot of times you got to look around for things like that. You know, you, you you might only think or feel that there's only one, two, three networks to play. But believe me, if you go out there and explore, you can find places like that. A lot of people probably would have said back then, oh, I don't trust Carbon. But, you know, the bottom line is they always paid. Um, never had any problems with them. Even up until this day, I've never had a problem getting paid on Carbon or any of the merged networks. Obviously, the cash outs have slowed down today up to this moment. But, um Never had a problem with them. So now we're in 2010. Um, let's see here. Still beating, beating all the games. I had my first World Series of poker that year. Uh, I think it was my second event. Had a deep run. Nearly made a final table. I think I finished like 10th or 12th in a limit event for like 12 grand. That felt good. Uh, everything was going great. Um, fast forward to late 2010. Um, heads up games were really drying up. Um, I hadn't played six max in a long time, but I had to, I had to relearn it or else I just wasn't going to be around. I wasn't going to be a pro player anymore. Uh, the, the, the heads up games, it was just hit or miss with the action. Um, there were, now there were probably 20, 30 people sitting per limit. You know, you get, uh, and half of them were Russians, just tons of Russians coming in. Um, so 
had to add in the six max and um my game was rusty but i had the bankroll to play higher than i was playing before because i ran up so much money playing heads up um you know a lot of it was three six five ten and ten twenty but you know it was, a, it was a good amount of money for playing those those limits you know i probably had like 50k or so at the time all my expenses paid no credit debt nothing like that so everything was going good and I had the ability to play higher, so I just jumped in and started playing 10, 20, 15, 30, 30, 60, and um, broke even for a couple months, and then um, early 2011, you know, I, um, you know, I'd always have talks with, like, Quaternion, um, you know, I, I'd pick the brains of guys that I was friends with who I thought were good, ask them questions about certain hands, uh, you know, just, just little things, things, places where I'd see myself losing a lot, spots where I seen myself losing a lot. And I advise a lot of people to do that. If you're, you're playing poker at all, seriously, you should always pick the brains of better players than you. Uh, at the time, you know, Quartanian, this is a guy that just according to his graphs, I don't know how much money he's made, but according to his graphs, I'm sure he's made a couple million or something on PTR. I'd always ask him questions and, um, you know, I, I, he always give me, you know, good answers. I remember one time, I would raise under the gun with, like, King Jack suited, and then I would get three bet, four bet, and then I remember it came back to me, and I folded. Asked him what he thought of that play, and he's just like, you know, you can never fold in that spot. Explain to me why. And I'm like, yeah, but I got three bet, four bet. I'm out of position, and he just, you know, and, um, you know, he just explained to me why, you know, with the pot odds, this and that. It seems pretty trivial now, but back then, you know, I wasn't sure. It was plays like this that were making me a break-even player. Um so, you know, I always worked on my game, improved, and then by the time 2011 came around, I think I'd plugged a lot of my leaks. And, uh, you know, I was playing playing in the toughest games on the Internet at the time, 30-60. I was playing up to 50-100 sometimes, taking shots on stars and full tilt. Uh, first two months of 2011, I won about 60,000. Um, didn't I wasn't putting in huge volume. I would play like two hours a day sometimes, and I was just killing these games. Um, didn't matter what the lineups were. Usually there'd be at least one fish in the game, uh, but I wasn't scared of, about going up against the best pros. And a lot of these guys are guys I watched for years. Um, a lot of these guys are the guys that replaced some of the guys that were the best players before that. So I'm now playing with the best players in the world at these limits. The limit, the games weren't running as consistently as they were way back, but there were still the biggest games running at the time, 30, 60, 50 hundreds on stars. And uh, I killed those. I had a ton of confidence. You know, I, I had thoughts in my mind. I'm like, you know, I'm, I might make three, four hundred thousand this year, possibly, if I I can get this amount, good amount of action. Uh, you know, at this time, I still had carbon pretty much all to myself and and two of my friends and maybe like a couple other guys. We were just getting nonstop action. Then Black Friday hits, um, which is when uh, I had to make a decision uh, what, what I was going to do. Uh, I took a lot of time off that summer. Instead of continuing play, I probably should have stayed on carbon and uh, just raped all the new players that got moved over there from stars and full tilt, but I didn't. Um, I wasn't sure if they were going to get bombed. I didn't think they were going to get bombed by the DOJ, but uh, I stayed out of there. And looking back, you know, you could, I can look at a few guys' graphs who instantly went there and ran up some big money over there, um, especially early. And by the, by the end of the year, the games got kind of shitty. But off and on, they were really good because um, there were still a lot of sports book players there. We had, you know, and there were uh, insane rakeback deals going around If for, through some of the networks. If you remember Lock Poker, it's one of the reasons they left the net. I mean, 
they were poaching players, giving 70, 80% out. I know guys that were getting uh, 85%. I know another guy that was getting 90 from another skin. Um, so if you just looked around a little bit, I mean, you could get some good rake back deals. You didn't even have to be a winning player. You could just put in 40 hours a week of poker, two and three tabling, and make some good money with insane rake back like that. But um, anyhow, I took a lot of that summer off, blew a lot of money traveling, vacations. I had a girlfriend at the time. Uh, just spent a ton of money and uh, didn't really get in a lot of volume. I actually moved over and um, I got set up on some European sites at the time. Um, that's another thing. People, like, right now, I mean, outside of, like, Full Tilt and Stars, if you're a U.S. player, a lot of people think you're restricted to just these U.S. networks. If you talk to people and you want to get more volume in, it's so easy to play on other networks. Um, there's a lot of the bigger networks, outside, I mean, Full Tilt and Stars, the security is so good, but you can get set up on account for accounts on a lot of those networks um, very easily, and you can up your volume that way, and you can get good rakeback deals at the same time. So I did a lot of that, um, hit a little bit of a downswing, blew a lot of money, uh, still didn't go broke. Actually, up until, I think at, up from 2009 when I turned pro until like 2011, I never had a losing month. Never once, I don't think. Uh, every month I was a winner, and I think I only had like two, maybe two losing weeks from 2009 through 2011. Then I, when I started playing in these Euro games, uh, people were unfamiliar with my play. It was just, uh, I was, I was in a bad spot. I hadn't been playing a lot of six max, um, after black Friday until like September. And then, uh, my bankroll got low. Uh, I still had some money on the European sites. Um, I got staked on merge in September of that year, late 2011. Um, you know, and I, I was giving away 30%. I mean, granted it's a good deal that I got. I was, I think I was getting 70% of the action, and the backers were getting 30%, but to me, you know, uh, everybody's like, oh, that's a great deal. A lot of people think, you know, standard staking deals are 50-50, but for me, you, you don't even know how much it killed me to, you know, to win money and have to give 30% back. I know I maybe wouldn't have been able to play the volume or the size of the games that I was playing comfortably without the backing, but when you're getting staked, it really sucks to give profits away when you're a consistent cash player. It's one thing if you're a tournament player, um... Because, like I said, I feel it's a, it's a complete lottery. Um, people that get staked in tournaments, uh, especially in the no-limit tournaments, um, it's um, it's one thing. But giving away a cash game, it's just like if, if you're going to stake me in a cash game, it's like I'm giving you automatic profit. Um, I've run maybe four or five stake runs up until this January and uh, never had a losing stake, always made people money. Um so that first stake that I ran, I think I ran up like fifteen, twenty thousand in profit. Got seventy percent of that. At the time, I still had some money on the European sites. Kill, I was killing those sites that fall right as that stake was ending. Maybe won like twenty thousand on one network. Um, won a lot of money. Went back on my own. Hit a huge downswing as soon as I ended that stake on merge. I hit a huge downswing. Uh, lost about I don't know. 30 30 grand or something like that really quick um i actually think when i went on the huge upswing on that stake i was making a lot of mistakes in my six max game and um i think i got really lucky with the way i was playing and um you know and then when i stopped getting lucky and i was calling a lot out of a small and big blind when i shouldn't have um just opening some bad hands making a lot of bad call downs that i wouldn't make today um 
and next thing you know, I lost a ton of money and went back on the stake again on the U.S. sites, um, tore it up for a little bit, had, um, you know, towards last spring and summer, I won, but I didn't win that big, and then over the last six months, I think I probably won like 70 grand or something like that, um, mostly play, not even, I mean, nothing higher than 1530, and I think that's pretty good considering the conditions today to, you know, win about 70,000 or so, um, in a six month period in online poker, uh, the games just don't run as much, and, uh, you know, I just think, I just kept studying, kept improving, and, um, you know, stuck with it, and, um, I actually got off my stake maybe in, like, this January, finally had enough money to play the limits I wanted on enough sites, and, um, I think since I've ended it in January, I probably won, like, another 20,000, so, uh, things have been going pretty good for me, um, that's pretty much my history up until now, and I'm still playing online. I still play every day, uh, try and get in as much volume as I can, play the best games that I can, and um, that's pretty much my history right there playing poker, and I have no plans of quitting anytime soon. Um, now I'm going um, to take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back and get into like some strategy and some stuff that I think people do wrong, some stuff that I think people could do a lot better of things that I learned along the ways that I just learned with trial and error or just learned from watching people better than me. So, um, we'll start off with like, um, heads up play and why I think, um, that's the most profitable venue when you're trying to make a living playing poker. Um, it's always heads up whether you're playing sit and goes or whether you're playing cash games, uh, everything, the most money is made at heads up. And I'll get into that in, um, I don't know. I'll be back in a boat. Let me see here. Um, be back in about three or four minutes, and um, we'll get into that.
was asking me if I uh, played with Pat Pezen. I know he's a very good limit player. I think he, he might have won like a 10K or something at the World Series. Um, I know Druff said he's very good. The name Toronto Toro looks very familiar. Probably logged in a lot of hands with him. Um, but uh, yeah, Greg DeBoer, he's pretty good. I've played with him. I played with him a lot um, right before Black Friday. He I think he became a site pro somewhere within a year or two before that. He started popping up. He started playing a lot of heads up and uh He's a very good player, too. Um, someone hockey guy was saying, um, it's surprising that I've won as much um, considering the amount of um, the amount of shit that it, uh, took place between the last site I was at where the owner turned out to be, um, or one of the owners, uh, John Sepulveda, turned out to be a scammer and was fucking over me and my partner. Yeah, well... The thing is, I probably maybe could have won a lot more money. Um, I might have lost money too, but I could have gotten in so much more volume. You don't, you, the the amount of time that uh, me, Brandon, and other people had to put into, um, you know, just going over things, uh, just trying to figure out exactly what was going on before all this broke and went public, uh, before we were 100% sure and convinced. Um, you know, it took a lot of time out of my poker and took a lot of time out of Brandon's life too. Um, so, you know, I was just fortunate to win what I did when I did, but at the same time could have lost. Um, so anyhow, um, moving on. Um, I mean, I, I put up a thread a couple months ago with, um, with, um, you guys put a bunch of questions in there. I'll get to those in a little while and answer them as best as I can. Um, a lot of, a lot of questions. I mean, a lot of answers you're probably not going to like. It's probably going to be, it depends, but that's how a lot of situations in poker go. It depends. Um, but anyhow, heads up play. And this is why I feel it is the, uh, the best form of money to, to best way to make money or run money up fast or make a bankroll quick playing heads up is because, um, you only have to beat one opponent, and um, if you have good game selection, then you're gonna you're gonna make a lot of money. If you don't have good game selection, you're gonna have a it'll, it'll probably be the highest amount of variance. If you have take the two best heads up players in the world and they play, I mean one guy one guy could get absolutely creamed. Um, for instance, I watched um, Haas TBF was considered the best heads up player in the world at uh, Limit back. Um, 
I don't know when this was, 2008 or so, when he played Phil Ivey. I actually watched the match. It was like 2,000, 4,000, or 4,000, 8,000. It was something ridiculous. And uh, I saw Phil Ivey take him and absolutely shred him for about a million dollars playing uh, heads up, limit, hold him. Um, but if you have good game selection, it's like printing money. But the problem is, is volume now. You're not going to get as much volume as you could before, which is why if you play heads up, you have to spread out over as many networks as you can. Um, well, and you just, you just gotta spread out so you can get as much action as you can, uh, whether it's sit and goes or whatever. Um, always be the one sitting at the table, never be the one joining the table. Um, if you're going to play heads up, you know, if you, if somebody's sitting there, usually they're a good player. Usually they're a shark. Um, first thing I want to say about playing heads up poker is, um, don't feel pressure to play anybody or continue a match even if you're losing uh that's one thing i had a tough time with the first year when i was playing heads up i would i would just keep playing because i i would always think i was better than the other guy or i just think i'm running bad but you know you say that to yourself in your mind but then you get to a point where you either get really frustrated and uh or you just realize like hey this guy's as good as me maybe i'm, I'm just running bad or it's just not a good spot so don't feel the pressure to play anybody um you know if it's better to quit maybe losing 10 bets than trying to win it back and then losing another 50 because you either ran bad or just variance. Um, so don't feel the p- pressure to play anybody if you're going to choose heads up. And that's any variation of poker. Uh, this goes for, for anything. Uh, pot limit, Omaha, no limit, um, or limit hold them. Um, it's where the most money is made online playing heads up. Uh, you look at guys like Stickman, who was, um, you know, a lot of people thought he was cheating because he won so much money, but he was the only guy seeding, he was one of the only guys seeding the games on Stars. Uh, he played on Party, Full Tilt, and he won millions of dollars over um, a bunch of different networks. And it's because I remember he made a famous post on 2 Plus 2 when people were tearing him apart for his ethics. And he does have some questionable ethics at the table, but at the same time, very smart guy, and he seeded all the biggest games on those networks for years, and then other people caught on and started doing the same thing, but, you know, Ivy, same thing, made most of his money playing heads up, Haas made most of his money playing heads up, Patrick Antonius, um, Bryce Parody, who was the, the godfather of Limit Hold'em, same with him, um, he, he, I think he made like two or three million dollars just playing heads up, and he was playing against some of the best guys, Antonius, uh, Benjamin at the time, Benjamin, who, uh, he really took advantage of, um, he really killed him. Uh, Durr, Phil Galfon, um, all the majority of their money came from heads up. Uh, Quaternion, uh, you know, Rob LP, Sally Wu. These guys, they're, they're typically the biggest winners um, from when I started playing anyways. With the data you can look up on PTR or High Stakes DB. And they, they were all, most of this money came from heads up. And, um... You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they get trained to play in the sit-and-goes, the nine-mans or the six-mans, but I'm telling you right now, it heads up is the way to go if you're going uh, to make money. But action's certainly drying up, um, and all ventures and the networks are doing things to prevent it, putting uh, players in player pools, uh, trying to improve network ecology, which kind of sucks if you've seen a lot of that stuff popping up, but... I think this is going to be a big fail for some of these networks that are putting people in player pools based by skill because let's say they took uh, somebody and they put them in the pro player pool because they've won a lot of money. Well, all that guy's going to do, and I'm not saying I'm going to do this, but this is what a lot of people are going to do, 
they're going to just create new accounts. Um, they're going to find a brother, a cousin, a sister, whatever, or come up with a fake ID, something. They're just going to go into the smaller pool, and these fish are going to get raped even faster, or the recreation players are going to get raped even faster because uh, people are going to find a way to get into those games. Wherever there's good games online, people are going to find a way to get into them. Maybe it's you think it's unethical. Uh, maybe it is unethical, but th- that's what pe- people are going to do, what they need to do to survive. And this whole thing could backfire on the networks because there's certainly people that are going to um, take advantage of this. People will just, uh, you know, guys that run bots, there'll be more bots running, I think, going into those player pools. So um, it's going to be um, it's going to be um, pretty interesting to see how all this works out um, or how they break down these player pools. But um, anyhow... There's a lot less variance if you game select playing heads up. Um, much less, in my opinion. Like I said, if you game select and you're playing against the right people, um, you know, there's tools out there where you can find out everything you need to know about the guys you're playing. I mean, PTR used to sell hand histories. Uh, I have friends that have bought in those hand histories. Um, you know, and they'll know everything a guy's going to be doing when the guy sits down. Never played him before, but they'll have every statistic on the guy. Uh me, I, I never did that. Uh, it's very surprising when when I tell people this, and people, some people are just amazed that I don't use a, a HUD, a heads-up display. I don't even, I don't save my hands. I I don't go back and, and really uh, look at any of my hands. Um, I use no form of data. I just use my brain. That's it, and use my memory, and I take a lot of notes, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, I got one buddy that just keeps asking me, you know, did you get a uh, poker tracker yet, or did you get whatever? I say, no, I actually got um, hold of manager a couple of years ago, and um, I played like six hands with the heads-up display, and um, it just pissed me off. It slowed. It seemed like the software slowed down. I was running a shittier computer then. I just shut it off and really never opened it again. Um, so I don't use a, a HUD or anything like that. Um, let's see. So there's, you know, there's things out there you can do to find out who your players are before you play them. Um, or if you just, or hands that you track when you're playing, you can break down all those statistics. Um, you know, I have a buddy that, um, you know, he tells me, this, he actually went over with me how he destroys certain guys in our 6-max game who are very good players, some of the best players in those 6-max games. Um, he told me specific instances on things that people do why he destroys them and these guys are some of these guys are the bigger winners on the site um and same thing with his uh when he plays heads up he says just based on statistics he can do certain things and it's almost getting into like gto you know game theory stuff like that where no matter what you you do you're unless the other guy's doing the same exact thing you can beat them in the long run and uh you know it's what he it's how he's modeled his game and you know yeah, I think it's from buying hand histories of the best players in the world, studying them, seeing what they do, and you just copy them. It's it's just like the NFL. It's a copycat league. Uh, just follow the leader, follow the best guys, watch what they do, and um, you know, and that's how you improve. Always watch other players, see how they're playing certain hands, see how they're playing hands versus you, um, you know, and then you just get you you'll get better reads on how you should play certain situations. Uh, another thing about heads-up play, especially in cash games, uh, like I was saying, don't feel pressure to play anyone. Uh, even without looking at data or looking anything up, I, I feel that within 20 hands of a heads-up cash game match, um, 
you should know whether you're a favorite or a dog or whether you should be playing or not. Most instances, 10 hands, you should, you should know what your edge is without any, any data. I know usually after 10 hands or 20 hands um, whether I'm a favorite or whether I should be playing in the game. If 50 hands come by and I'm still not sure, I mean, a lot of the times I'll quit. Um, you know, it, usually if you go 50 hands and you're not sure whether you're a favorite or not, the other guy's probably at least as good as you are pretty equal to you um seen on the situations like that where you should just quit and um you know live to fight another day open another table and try and wait for another opponent um some people one thing i did for a long period of time was set a stop loss at like 50 big bets so if i was playing 10 20 heads up i lose a thousand dollars sometimes i would just quit because i mean even if you usually not versus a huge fish, I'd keep playing, but I've had instances where I've continued playing against like big fish and lost, you know, a hundred big bets, you know, two grand in a match. And, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not a good feeling. I'll tell you that, uh, when you're losing something like that in a heads up match, it can be very stressful. Uh, so, you know, with a lot, what a lot of my friends do that were heads up, limit hold them players. They just set a stop loss at 50 big, big bets. You lose 50 big bets, you quit because, um, you know, you start, uh, you get to that point and, um, you know, emotions could get control, take control of you, you could go on tilt, um, you know, you're just not playing in your comfort zone. But um, I actually get more satisfaction, though, from when I'm getting stuck, like, you know, like a grand or something in a 10-20 match and then... I come back and, um, you know, even if I just win like 400 bucks, sometimes I'll get more satisfaction and a better feeling out of that than, you know, just destroying somebody for a thousand or 2000 or 3000. Um, so stop losses, those aren't a bad things to do. Uh, long heads up matches for me, typically since I started playing, the longer the matches usually end the worst ways. Uh, if you're in a match for like six, seven hours with the same guy, uh, usually for me, I don't do well in those matches. Um, even versus bad players, I don't know why. Um, either from either I didn't make the correct adjustments or they just ran good, and that's why the match is going as long and I keep reloading. But longer matches historically have been bad for me, with the exception of uh, I actually had one marathon about 12 hours uh, towards the end of this last stake that I ran where um, – I think we started off playing four eight. We moved to six twelve or something. We moved to eight sixteen. We moved to fifteen thirty, and I kept beating him all the way up until there. And he kept wanting to move up. And then finally, I said, "Let's go to thirty sixty. And um, I think I started with like three thousand in my account. And I think I had about four or five thousand when I got to thirty sixty. And uh, this guy just went on a super heater, and he started killing me. And I was down to honestly like my last fifty dollars in my account. And, um, I miraculously got a transfer from one of my buddies who was online. He sent me over like three grand and, uh, this guy actually got most of that three grand. And then I think I went on a heater and I think I wound up beating him for like, uh, and I wound up with like 10 or 13,000 or something in my account, just playing 30, 60. But once I figured out exactly what he was doing, you know, I just exploited the shit out of him and he was actually exploiting me for a long time, uh, making certain plays. I didn't adjust quick enough, but that's one thing you got to do in, in heads up matches. You, you know, guys, even bad players are going to make adjustments against you. Sometimes they'll, they'll, you know, you'll have them pinned down and you think you got everything down to a T and then 
they might make a sub subtle adjustment, start exploiting you a certain way, unless you're playing like GTO or something like that. Um, you know, and you're playing an exploitive style, and that's what I play. I play an exploitive style usually when it comes to heads up, um, where I'm just looking to exploit the other guy's weaknesses, just figure them out, pick them apart. Um, so eventually, you know, I just figured out what exactly what he was doing to me, and uh, I just did certain things to not allow him to do that anymore. Uh, I'm not going to get into the specifics of what I did, but, you know, he was just, uh, there were certain things that I was doing he was picking up on where he could bet and knew I was weak. And, um, but then I just did other things to make him think th certain things. And I just used it against him, exploited him, and uh, I took all his money and he hasn't come back to play me again since. So, um, another thing, you're in a heads-up match and you feel funny, you should always leave. Um, I've written about these a couple times. I'm not really going to get into them, but it happened once on full tilt where I lost about 4,000 or something playing 1,500. And uh, I just felt really funny like I got cheated. And um, I remember I posted about this, and um, full tilt was still open for almost another year after that match. And after that night when I posted, I thought I got cheated and posted the guy's screen name. He never played another hand on the site. Um, I think I've said, I've probably said that four times, uh, where I really felt I got cheated. Once was the AP thing and we know cheating turned up there. This guy on full tilt and he never played another hand ever on his PTR account. Not one hand after that match with me where he won about 4,000 and it happened once on merge, but it's possible the guy on merge could have just went to a new account, but this guy won like eight or 9,000 taking on some of the best players heads up. I mean, he could have been a great heads up player himself, but, um, you know, I, I talked to the guy in chat and he told me he opened up the account the day before. And I, I looked at his PTR page later and he had played like micro limits for like 2000 hands in the middle of the summer. Um, so things just didn't add up. I lost, I didn't even lose that much of that guy. I felt I was cheated. And then about six months later, my buddy told me a similar story about the same guy, um, when I actually started talking to this, um, I started talking to this guy, um, about six months later and, you know, he told me the, a very similar story about the same player. So if you feel funny ever in a match, any network, you should quit. I mean, a lot of people will sit there and say, Oh, it's rigged. You know, I always have the best hand and I lose. And you always hear tournament players say that, you know, I always get it in good and I lose. Well, if you're getting it in good a lot, then, you typically you're going to get sucked out on more because you're going to have people playing, um, you know, you, if you're getting it in with the best hand, you're always going to be up against the worst hand. So you're going to get sucked out on a lot. And, uh, you know, you've probably seen me complain a ton of times, like, uh, some of these stake threads that I've had over the last year and a half where, you know, I remember I was not, on, I was on posting tilt. I wasn't on tilt, but I was just posting about all these suck outs. But if you're playing, you know, top, top strategy and, playing optimal, yeah, you're going to get sucked out on a lot, and, you know, you you can go on some pretty big downswings, you can go on, you know, like, up to a thousand big bet downswings, I don't think, I think I've had, like, one downswing of that size in my life, a thousand big bets, um, which is pretty good, I mean, usually people, you know, people, it'll happen a lot more, um, I think I've had one close to that once, but, you know, that's just the nature of the game, if you get it in good, I mean, if you're always getting it in good and you're playing against, you're playing in good games against bad players, well, you're going to get sucked out on a lot more. Then you add in the luck factor and the variance. That's, um, that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. You know, um, 
and you have to accept that and be ready for that and be ready for those downswings. Um, you know, I still have people that complain to me often about that. It's just like, well, you know, you're, you're just playing tournaments. You know what I mean? So try playing cash games 40 hours a week and you'll see the true variance. And, uh, another theory that's come up, um, about people feeling like the networks will give the worst player, you know, if you get somebody all in, um, in a cash game where you get somebody all in and they always seem to win. Um, I remember read the dis- discussion came up about this once and, uh, Reggie man felt the same way. And, um, he actually looked at his data of millions of hands. And I think it was like 49.9% and 50.1%. So it was like dead, even whether he won or lost and all those all in hands when you had someone all in, in a cash game. So the proof's right there in the pudding. And it's, it's the same thing. I swear to God up until, um, for the last two weeks in situations like that, where I play, if I've been, uh, if I was playing like heads up cash, um, I probably lost about 24 of those in a row where I had the guy all in and he won, but the same way, probably the 35 times before that, I, I probably won like 30 of those. So it's just the nature of cards and variants. And a lot of people just don't understand how variance works. Um, so that's that. Um, you know, some people have a theory playing against better players will get you better. It, it will get you better playing against better players, but it will also get you to lose a lot of money. Um, I think Phil Galfon said something like that, like playing against the best will get you better. Sure it will, but I mean, what is that, like 0.1% of the poker population that could play against the best player in the world, best player at, at their game and beat them and actually make money? I mean, unless you have a huge bankroll or you're playing for fun, it's probably not smart to play against the best unless you really feel you're one of the best and you think you have a huge edge. Usually either you don't or you have a very slight edge and you could run into some uh, some big-time problems. So, um, you know, you should be... I think Skolansky wrote it in The Theory of Poker. You should always be looking to play in, play in the best games possible, and that's the truth. Um, and if they're not there, then live to fight another day because the variance factor can um, absolutely kill you playing in, in bad games. Uh, it actually, when I wasn't playing at my best in the merge games, I hit, um, some big downswings and some of those were the, the, some very tough games. Um, you know, um, guy, how quaint in the chat here, he played in those games. Uh, Druff was playing in these games and there was a couple other guys that were, you know, world-class or close to world-class, but at the same time, we're only playing like 10, 20, 15, 30, 20, 40, but you know, sometimes even with like one big fish in the game, if you don't have a uh, proper position, uh, might not be the best spot for you. And uh, if you're not playing at your best, uh, you can lose a lot of money in those situations. Um, so let's see here. Uh, low stakes. Uh, that's especially a spot where, um, you know, unless you have a big bankroll and you just want to practice against somebody better than you, it's okay. But just remember the rake's going to eat you apart. I mentioned that earlier. I remember there was this guy that uh, he joined me over and over at 3-6, and he was one of the best players in, like, the 3-6-6 max games, and he kept coming to my 3-6 limit hold'em player, uh, limit hold'em tables on stars, and he always challenged me, and, you know, finally one day I said, you know, I said, fuck it, you know, I knew it was a bad spot, but I, I just played him, and uh, I actually destroyed him for about 1,500 or 2,000 over, like, it was like four hours just playing 3-6. I mean, I crushed this guy for, like, three, 400 big bets, and, um, you know, he, he, it still wasn't a good spot for me, but, 
you know, I played against them. It's always good to take shots like that, maybe against good players, and you might find a way to exploit them. And I found a way to exploit this guy, and I destroyed him. Now, put us in a six-max game, and he was probably just as good as me or better than me, but, you know, I just found a way to exploit him. That's all you're trying to do when you're playing heads up. It's a puzzle uh, where you just you just need to figure out. It's like uh, it's like figuring out a code or something. It's, it's, it's hard to explain, but you just get into a flow where, um, you know, you're almost in the zone and uh, you just see things, see patterns and watch things develop. And after doing it so many times, it becomes very easy to um, figure out what that's all you're trying to do really is figure out what the other guy's doing. At least from my point of view, that's how I play. I'm not a GTO player. I'm an exploitive player. And I always try to find ways to, to exploit people. And um, that's just, um, that's just my approach when it comes to heads up. Um, higher stakes, you know, you can play against a little bit tougher opponents because uh, the rake isn't a factor. You know, when you're playing uh, like 3-6, you're, pay you're paying like uh, 24 bucks an hour just to play. So, I mean, you got to clear that. You're paying like four big bets per hour, per hundred, just in rake. So, I mean, you got to clear that and then clear... You know, and then you got to find a way to make a profit for yourself. And if you're not you're not on a huge rakeback deal, then you know you could sit there and two equal guys play. Uh, the house is always going to win. So, the higher you move up, you can lower your standards um, against guys you want to play when it comes to cash games. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see here. Another thing that uh, I used to see Phil Ivey do a lot was. If he would play um, short sessions when he lost, if he lost, I was talking about the 50 big blind downswings and heads up. What Phil Ivey would do is if he lost like 10 or 15 big bets, he would just quit. But if he won, he would just keep going and going and going and play. He would play wildly aggressive and uh, a lot of times he'd get his opponents to tilt and he would just destroy them. And then, um, you know, and that's just one way to do it. I mean, either way, it's the long in the long run, it goes by number of hands, but. It's an interesting approach and uh, it seemed to work for him. And I, I know some other people that use that approach. I even use it sometimes. Um, if I lose even like five or ten big bets against certain guys, I'll just quit. But if I win, I'll just go on and on and on until, um, you know, until I feel I've had enough. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, multi-tabling, playing heads up. Uh, some people can do it, play on autopilot and be, uh, very good at multi-tabling, playing heads up. Uh, but you know, I have one, one of my buddies who's, uh, definitely a world-class heads up player where he refuses to play more than one table at a time. He will only play one heads up table at a time. And I can see why it's very easy to make mistakes. Uh, remember whether you, you know, whether you were the three better pre-flop, sometimes, you know, you'll stop making clicking mistakes. Uh, you know, where you'll check when you're 99% of the time you'd be betting, uh, so you can lose an edge that way. I mean, the only way I do it is if I feel I have a huge edge on both tables. Otherwise, I'll I'll just uh, take the table where I feel I have the biggest edge. Um, you should always be talking strategy with, with your buddies or, or watching videos or something like that. Um, that's one thing I wish I'd done like 2004, 2005, or whenever these video sites started coming out. Just watch. Um, don't always copy exactly what you see. I mean, I've tried to copy a couple things I've seen on video sites, and it just didn't work for me. And um, maybe the people, I think a couple instances, these guys were making mistakes. Um, you know, another thing when you're, you're watching these video sites, make sure you do research and figure out who the author is and see if they're a winning player. I mean, there's a couple guys out there, um, 
this isn't true for all guys. There are some guys that can teach poker and find leaks who don't even really play. Um, but there's other guys that make these videos still up until this day. And, I, you know, you wa- like someone like me will watch it and be like, uh, I actually joined a, a site the other day because I wanted to learn some uh, some PLO and I want to learn some uh, Heads Up No Limit. I just started playing those recently. I'll get into that. Um but I looked these guys up on PTR, and um, I'm like, how can I trust this guy? This guy's a losing player. How is he making videos? So, I mean, some guys can get the point across and actually teach pretty good, and you can take things from them. But always be careful when, um, you know, watching a video because the guy you be, might be watching might not even be that good. Um, you know, these sites, um, these sites have to, um, these video sites, they have to put content out there. And a lot of the best players aren't willing to, give their um they're not willing to give their take on how they play certain things um you know i have a lot of my friends to probably be pissed off that i'm even doing this show like talking about some of this stuff um but it, at the same time there's a lot i've been off i've had a, a site offer uh offer me to start making videos and I, i've never made any videos um but um always make sure you know and trust who you're talking to and make sure that it makes sense and don't just make certain plays based on what somebody said. Every situation's different. Um let me see here. Um what else do we got here? Yeah, if you're playing heads up and you go on a nice run, uh I I'm not of the theory you need a big bankroll. You should always take shots to play bigger. Just make sure you have the um make sure you can step down. Make sure that you know, you lose a few, you don't go on tilt, move up even higher. Um, you know, it's something I wish I did. I wish that when I was playing three, six and five, 10 heads up, you know, I was making a couple thousand or, you know, 1500 every, every week consistently. Uh, I would have made a lot more money if I just jumped up right to 1530 and 3060, even when I had like three or 4,000, even if I went broke, I could have, or close to broke. I always could drop down and make that money. So if you go on a decent little run, always try and take a shot and it might boost you into the stratosphere and you could just take off like a rocket ship. Otherwise, you know, I probably sat at those lower stakes for about six months longer than I should have. And, you know, it might have cost me 50 or 100,000 back then. And, you know, there's always new players getting into the game. And, um, and it's always going to be harder to make money playing poker moving forward because, um, you know, the fish get creamed or the recreation players get creamed and the good players, um, keep taking the money and the good players don't like to play against each other. So always tuck your money away. Always try and practice, um, you know, decent bankroll management and, uh, hold on to your money. Otherwise, um, you know, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, sorry about that. Let me just move on to my next point, but always take shots and just be prepared to step down. It's basically what I'm trying to say, or you could just take off. So, um, let's see here. Um, yeah, heads up limit play. Uh, I remember back in 2010, everybody saying, oh, it's dry, it's dry. But I still made a pretty good living off that, adding in some six max all the way up until today. Um, but I actually started playing like PLO and no limit recently. No limit starting to get dry. Uh, yesterday was actually my first day playing no limit. Um, one, two, no limit and uh, two, four, no limit. I've never played no limit heads up before. Never watched a no limit video before in my life. But I think I can just take the skills that I have from limit somewhat and transition them over to no limit. Sure, there's some differences and there's going to be some learning curves on the way. But I think yesterday playing 2-4 no limit, 
I won about only about 600, which is very small, but I felt pretty comfortable in everything I was doing. And there's a lot of stuff from heads up limit that translates over to no limit. Uh, not everything, but there's specific situations. And, uh, I think the first two matches I played, I had, uh, dead reads on my opponent, knew exactly what they were doing. And I actually got them to think I was doing something, which I wasn't. And after a while, you know, they tried to exploit me and then I just re-exploited them the same way. And, uh, I actually wound up creaming some guy and I would have kept playing him all night, but, uh, I got tired. It was early this morning and I went to bed. So, um, I still think there's a little bit of money to be won in PLO. And I think you can have the, the best, uh, chance to have good upswings in pot limit Omaha. But, um, at the same time, uh, it's drying out a little bit. And at the same time, PLO, you're probably going to have the most variance. I mean, you could go all in pre-flop one hand versus another. And I don't think you're having more than like a 60, 40 favorite. So, um, I think everything, uh, but still you, you can win a lot of money in that game. If you're a highly skilled player, um, you just pr might run into a little more variance, but you might, uh, you could absolutely crush it. And I'm a little late to the game when it comes to heads up, no limit too. But you know, if I'm playing heads up limit, Heads up, no limit, heads up PLO, and I'm spreading over a bunch of sites. I should have enough action to play pretty much, pretty much nonstop all day. Not all the time all day, but um, that's just the way it goes. So another thing, uh, do people chatting, I mean, sometimes um, certain guys could put you on tilt just from that chat, even if they're absolute idiots. Uh, sometimes I'll just shut the chat off. I'll talk for a minute, and then... I'll just, um, I'll just shut the chat off and, you know, or I'll just chat into the chat to them and they'll get tilted and they'll just keep chatting back to me. I won't say anything like anything bad to them, but I'll say certain things to get certain guys tilted up and I won't even be reading what they say because maybe it will affect me. Um, so I'll just, I shut the chat off sometimes if you get some chatters that are going to, um, are going to be assholes or whatever, um. So sometimes it's it's funny. I won't even be reading what they're writing, but I'll be chatting. And I know they'll be tilting back at me. But sometimes, you know, you get in conversation with, with guys, you beat them in a pot, and they'll go on absolute tilt and just uh, give you money. Um, let me see here. I'm just going to take a quick look in the chat here and just see if there's anything, uh, anything good going on. Um, let's see here. Oh, insuperable! How quaint! What about insuperable? Yeah, he owns. Yeah, he was a really good player. He actually, uh, that's actually the guy that posted it. He actually destroyed me for a little for a for a little while there last year. But uh, yeah, we played in a lot of those merge games uh, for months upon end, and uh, I think he wound up being the all probably. I think he was the all-time winningest uh, limit player on merge since Black Friday. I think in uh, how quaint in the chat here. Um, if you go by PTR, yeah, he, he went on some massive heaters and, uh, beat those games the best over, um, that period. And, um, yeah, great player. Um, let me move down here. Um, someone says I don't play online. Well, let's see. All right. Going to get back here. Um, yeah, videos again, um. A lot of guys that got blasted into the heads-up limit hold'em stratosphere uh, that won a lot of money was because Bryce Parity, who was Freedom 25 on full tilt, 
he was the one of the first guys. Uh, I think he started as low as like three six, and just all, before you knew it, he was playing one thousand, two thousand against quote unquote the best players in the world. A lot of them were like TV pros, and you know a lot of them were decent players and probably beat a lot of those soft live games. And you know a lot of these guys are probably the guy. Some of the guys that be like, oh, you know, it's online, it's fixed. Well, this Bryce just got better than everybody and destroyed everybody. And uh, he was the godfather of uh, the videos when it comes to heads up limit hold'em. And um, I actually played for about five months before I even watched any of his videos. Uh, and after watching his videos, I actually, a couple situations that I used, I started doing and playing a certain, uh, a couple certain instances where he said it was a good thing to do, where they turned out to be mistakes for me. Um, but there were a lot of things that I took out of his videos that I wasn't doing before that helped balance my game up a little bit. Um but I didn't watch a ton of his videos, but you know, if you're going to play a game, find out who the best authors are of those videos. If you want to learn quick, um, you know, or you can just fire deposits in and just lose all the time. Just, you know, what's the difference? Just, just spent, watch one video a week, two video a week, something like that. It'll just help you get better. Um, always getting more content always helps you get better and going over hands with people. Um, let me see here. Uh, you know, I'd probably recommend using something like a, a heads-up display or something like that or some form of data. I probably should, um, but mm, the way I, I approach I mean, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Maybe I could win a little more if I did use it um, or use data and all that other stuff, uh, but I've never needed to. Um, it might have helped. Maybe it wouldn't help me. I don't know. I'm just comfortable playing without it and playing like I would if I went into a casino. I mean, it's a lot to take in against all the players. I just, I advocate just taking a lot of notes. Make sure you note everybody. Um, and it, believe me, it always comes up, it comes in handy later. I mean, but that's one thing that I am a little guilty of. Sometimes if I'm playing a guy and he's a fish uh, or whatever, or just a or an average player or whatever, and, um, you know, I'll just mark him as fish and then I'll destroy him. And while I'm playing the match, I know exactly what he's doing. And I'll say to myself, oh, he was easy, but, and I won't, I won't make notes when I should. And then, you know, two months later he might join and I'll have him mark this fish, but then I got to figure him out again, like what I did before. And, uh, I'm really guilty of doing that a lot and probably cost me a lot of money, but, um, that's why, you know, don't be lazy, take notes, make sure you take notes on everybody, whether they're good or bad. Um, especially on good players, because those are the guys you want to avoid. Um, you know, if you're just going to go in there and just play anybody, you're probably going to not make as much money as other people. Um, another thing that I like to do, um, let me see here, is uh, if I'm playing like six max or ring, um, don't only look at the game you want to get into. If you can see the waiting list, look at waiting lists, because... Um, this is something a lot of people don't do, which uh, I didn't do for a while. But, you know, I'd see, like, the worst player on the network on a waiting list, and then I'll get on the waiting list, and I'll be right behind him. And, uh, you know, some people just look at the tables and look for the best tables. But, I mean, the waiting lists, you can look at the waiting lists, and, you know, the, the game might not be good for 45 minutes, but you'll be on the list right after that guy and put yourself in a profitable situation. So that's one pretty big thing that... um you know, it's just another small thing, but, you know, that's just something that's going to add to your overall expected value when you're playing. Um, 
let me see here. Another thing you don't want to do if you're playing heads up cash, don't abuse the tables. Uh, some networks will let you open up four like heads up tables at the same limit. Um, a lot of networks have limited it where you can only open one or you can like full tilt at it. So you can open two, but you can only see one of them. And the other one would become uninvisible when your table went live. Uh, if you abuse the tables and networks, let you open multiple ones for each, um, for each limit. A lot of times you'll get somebody to come and they'll block your tables. They'll just sit at your tables and it'll usually be a good player. And he'll just say, you know, uh, everybody should take one table. They'll say, fuck you. And I don't blame him. I've done this to people before. Uh, there used to be a guy named Gehrig 87 or something on poker stars, who was probably the best 10, 20 player at that time. Maybe probably would be the best 10, 20 player now, but he used to open like four and me and a couple other guys would just go block his tables because, uh, you know, if the, the network would let you open as many back then, but it just wasn't fair to the other players. And if all of us were opening four tables or whatever, then, um, you know, it, it would just suck and it would make the lobby look bad. And a lot of people would look at it and they'd see us all sitting at, you know, they'd see people sitting at three or four tables and they wouldn't, recreational players wouldn't want to play. So don't abuse the tables if you're going to play heads up, uh, any form of heads up poker. Um, let me see here. Um, Another thing, like uh, what I do on the, uh, I'll do on the Revolution Network currently. I play on Intertops over there. And another thing, if you're gonna play on Revolution, sure you can get a, probably a pretty good rake back deal playing on Lock Poker. But at the same time, um, you can't get your money out. It's taken like four months for U.S. checks, up to two months for Western Unions. And sure you get a big rake back deal, but if you're gonna sell it on two plus two, if anyone's gonna buy it, you're selling it off for sixty cents. And then your money is probably is still at risk. So I play on Intertops. I get checks from there pretty quick, three days. Um, and, and you know, there ca- I've never waited more than uh, five days for a payout from there. Um, so you always want to stick with the uh, stick with the networks that pay. If you're on like a a, a net some type of network like that, uh, some some don't pay like Lock, and others do. So um, what I do on Intertops now is you know i'll open up all my heads up tables and they only let you open like 110 26 max 110 29 max and they do that for each limit so sometimes you know i'll be sitting at one and another pro will come and try and steal my table quote unquote steal um or i'll or i'll go sit at somebody else's but i've learned uh the best thing to do if you're playing at those tables is um i don't care if i'm the first one sitting because what I'll do is I'll just sit at all my heads up tables. And then if there's people sitting all the way up at all the six max and nine max, what I'll do is I'll just get on those waiting lists and I'll set the waiting list to where have me, you know, give me an alert when two people join. So, you know, that guy thinks, you know, he, he might come and take my table and I'll let him have it because when the, when the, the second guy joins, I get to get position on that guy. You know, he thinks he's getting a good deal because he's going to get the guy heads up first, but he's only going to get one or two hands of them before I jump in and pop right on the guy's left. And, um, you know, and it just gives me a better chance to shred the guy. So it's little things like that uh, that can certainly add to your value when you're playing in heads up cash games. Um, and the same thing with like sit and goes. If you're playing heads up sit and goes, Never be the second guy joining. Always be the first guy joining to make it the most profitable. Sit yourself, and you have a better chance of getting a weaker opponent sit to join you. Never join one unless you're just playing, unless you don't care and you just want to gamble. But if you want to make money, always be the first guy sitting. And if a good player joins you, then, hell, you whatever. You have to play him, but you have a better chance um, at 
and a fish joining you. And if you become good enough and your statistics become good enough, then no pros are going to sit with you. And it's the same way it goes for heads up. I mean, uh, nine times out of 10, if you're sitting at a heads up cash table, um, another pro is not going to sit with you because they know it's a waste of time. Some guys will because they don't like you or because, uh, you know, or, or they just want the challenge and they don't care about making money or they have huge egos and think that they can, they can just beat you because they think they're the best, which a lot of poker players feel they are. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in it for the ego. I just want to make money. That's it. That's the bottom line. I'm, I'm here to make money. I'm not, you know, I don't sit on these sites and, and play heads up to swing my dick and say I'm the best. Uh, I just, you know, at the end of the week, I want to be able to pay my bills and have extra money and, uh, you know, be able to do what I want every week, whether I could, whether I can beat the three best players who are perceived to be the three best players in the world at whatever limits. I don't give a fuck. I just want to make money. Um, let's see here. Um, never play tired. Um, I mean, sometimes you gotta, because the game is just so good, but always remember, live to fight another day. If you're not fresh, because, um, when you're tired, you don't make good decisions. You know, it's like driving a car. Um, they say if you get no sleep and you're up for 24 hours and you go out and drive a car, it's the equivalent to drinking like a 12 pack and jumping behind the wheel. It could be worse in some cases. So, I mean, the same thing goes for poker. You go on autopilot, you stop thinking, uh, your brain's just not working. You're not as sharp, you're not as sharp. So, you know, you don't want to be playing tired. Uh, I've had some of my worst results when I've been tired and pushing the limits or, you know, being stubborn and, you know, trying to get back to even. And that's one thing that I've learned. Uh, and it's another thing uh, that my buddy here, how quaint in the chat told me to get the book from um, Tommy Angelo. Um, it doesn't really matter. You should never play to get unstuck. I mean, it always feels good. You're like, oh yeah, I was stuck so much. I got unstuck. But you got to always remember, this is like, if you're playing professionally, it's a lifetime thing. So, you know, another, you know, what's the difference if you get back to even that day? I mean, if you're getting stuck, better chances, you're going on tilt. There's another game the next day. Just find a better spot and um, you can um, you can always get unstuck another day. It doesn't have to happen the same day because if you're playing professionally, um, this is going to be every day of your life until you stop playing professionally. Uh, let's see here. Hmm. Another thing like shark scope, PTR, stuff like that. Um, like I know some guys that are like, oh, I won't pay for a subscription to something like that. But the fact is, like, something like PTR, if you have an account there, you buy 200 searches for, like, $10 or something like that. Um, just that $10 you pay, I mean, that's one big bet. And, um, you know, it could it could save you $2,000 in a match. You might not know, like I was saying before, sometimes you get up to 50 hands and you don't know if the other guy you're playing is good. Well, if you can look the guy up and see his results, then you would have quit after one hand. So, I mean, for 10 bucks or, you know, having a subscription to Shock Scope to know who you're playing against or, uh, you know, whatever the tournament ones are, uh, po Poker DB or whatever they are, uh, any way you can find out who your opponent is and whether they're worth playing, in my opinion, is worth it. Even if you have to pay a little bit for it, it's going to work itself out in the long run. And a lot of people are very um, stubborn about paying for little things like that but at the same time um it could save you a ton of value just having that um let's see here um what do i recommend for beginning live players to get better well um i'll get to these other questions in a second um 
Actually, we'll take this one first. Talk Michigan basketball. I'll just tell you uh, real quickly. Um, big. F- I haven't. I haven't watched them play this yet. But I was a huge Glenn Robinson fan when he played at Purdue. Led the nation scoring like two or three years in a row. And his son, Big Dog Junior, playing for Michigan basketball. Shout out to him. Um, looking forward to watching them in the tournament because uh, I was always a Glenn, big Glenn Robinson fan. In uh, Glenn Robinson Jr., I'm looking forward to watching him. He's going to be a great player. Probably be the number one pick in the draft in a couple of years, like his old man. Um, let's see here. Can I beat the Iceman at limit? I've played with the Iceman once or twice. Uh, he's just a total rock. He just sits there and folds, and 90% of the time he's not at the table or he's talking to someone at the table or he's telling a, a story to somebody. Um, what do I recommend for beginning live players to get better? Um, honestly, um, there are some videos, and I haven't watched them online, that will go over live play. Um, I just think uh, experience in live games, uh, a lot of live games, I mean, some of them are bad at the limits I would be playing, like 30, 60, 20, uh, 20 40, uh, filled with some good players. At least the ones in Vegas are. The ones on the East Coast, the Foxwoods, um, uh, just terrible players. Um, five, six guys every flop capped. Um, honestly, I don't advocate like limping in the games in games often, but in games like that, I, I mean, I wouldn't even mind limping in certain games like that. Um, just because those pots get so huge, you should. They say you, or a lot of people say, you know, you shouldn't be the first guy limping in. But I've actually been. I've added some limping to my game recently, some, which is something. Uh, I normally wouldn't do, but I mean, if you have three or four guys going to the flop every hand and, you know, you have a pair of deuces or whatever, or, you know, some crappy, like, uh, something like seven, eight suited, I don't mind playing a lot of pots in certain games like that. Even if you're the first guy to limp in, if you know they're going to limp behind you, because, uh, typically you want to isolate, you want to be isolating a lot of limpers in live games, raising, but sometimes in, in good live games, you'll have three guys cold call your raise behind you when you're trying to isolate somebody and you're just not in a, you know, it just puts you in a bad situation. So to tell you the truth, I don't mind uh, limping around in certain games. Not all the time. I mean, if guys are going to fold behind you, just isolate limpers. Um, You know, you don't have to play a ton of hands. You could play somewhat tight and uh, I think be profitable in a lot of live limit games, but uh, I haven't played a ton of live limit. Um, Most of my plays online and, uh, when I did play a lot of 2040 at Foxwoods, I actually had some pretty brutal sessions um, where I lost playing against extremely weak players where I was probably a pretty big favorite. Uh, but looking back, I don't think I played as optimally as I should have in those games. Um, even when the 4080s were running down there, I think I, I was a loser in those games. Um, but again, short samples. We're talking less than 20 sessions overall here at 30 hands an hour. So... Uh, I just ran really bad and uh, probably didn't play as the way that I should have in those games. But um, you know, some of those twenty, some of the twenty forty games around the country are absolute gold mines, and uh, you can make a lot of money. You just have to, uh, you just have to figure out. It's almost like heads up. You just have to figure out um, the best way to approach them and what works for you. Um, let me see here. Um, I don't know how Iceman pays the bills. Uh, 
No idea. I don't know if he. I don't know if he's a winner in those games, but he he seems like he's playing in them all the time. So maybe he maybe he does beat them playing like a rock. I have no idea. He plays no limit limit. I know he was playing as high as I think 100, 200 years ago. I don't. I know those games don't run anymore. I don't know if he beats them. I don't know if he doesn't. Uh, Brandon, if he's ever on, he might be able to uh, expound on whether um, whether he's a winner or a loser. Let me see here. Live 1020. Um, I don't know what you're at. Uh, could I teach Micon to be a winning limit play? I actually, a couple of years ago when I was doing really well playing heads up, I almost, um, I offered Micon to teach him limit, but we never got around to it because uh, I didn't, you know, at the time, my, I've, no, I've never really had, I've never had any problems with Micon. And, uh, you know, as Judonk always pointed out over the years, as you know, he's a break-even tournament player, and he had some scores here and there. But you look at it, he had like a million dollars in scores online, but he had a million dollars in buy-in, and I just tried to explain to him that I thought it was stupid to play those, and I still feel it's stupid for a lot of people to play tournaments. Um, um, and I tried to tell him, you know, just play heads-up limit or, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I think I could teach anybody to do it very quickly. Um the the hardest part is learning how to read hands and that just takes experience but once you learn how to read people's hands then you can do very good um let me see here never seen one sep at foxwoods ever um never ever he, he he did play down there a lot though according to some people that i know and um i just i didn't play down there a lot and i wouldn't have known him if i saw him and i wouldn't have remembered him if uh i wouldn't have remembered him at all um let me see here. Yeah, so the number one thing I think for heads up limit is experience. Learn how to read hands. Um, another thing you might not want to do is uh, you get an aggressive donk who's very aggressive. A lot of times you don't want to, you know, a lot of people will think they can just overpower them, three bet them uh, from out of position from the big blind. And a lot of times it's better off when you're playing heads up to just sit back and let them bet themselves to death. They'll bet flop, air, bet turn, you know, and you can, you can get in raises, turn, river, and get a lot better value than taking control of the hand on the flop because a lot of guys like that will just never fold. Um, so even if you're three-betting them with, like, super hands, um, sometimes it's just better to let them bet themselves to death and, um, you know, take them out. And you can play pretty tight when you're in position. You fold a lot of hands. I mean, a lot of people saying you should play X percent, this many percent, that percent. Um, you play whatever percent makes you the most money. And sometimes you can play pretty tight and just destroy certain players because they're just going to pay you off and be more, um, they're going to be more speculative with their call downs. Um, you know, if you're playing against a lot of maniacs though, who are three betting you, sometimes it's a good idea to, uh, you know, just four bet them cap a lot of hands in position. But on a lot of the networks now where you can run into trouble is, you know, if you're playing on, like, Merge or you're playing on, like, uh, Winning Poker Network, that um, guys are going to, um, you know, guys will 5-bet you because there's unlimited caps and bets um, where, you know, you might 4-bet Ace-King, but he might 5-bet you with 7-9, and then, you know, you just don't want to go too many bets unless you have aces. Um, just because of the variance, you might be a favorite for that hand, but you don't want to stick in a shitload of money when you can just slowly break people down like that. Um, especially in those uncapped games, it can get pretty tricky. And, you know, if you decide you want to play a style where you're going to put in a ton of bets with without, like, aces, even in a limit game, um, you know, you can lose a shitload of bets in one pot, and then it'll take a long time to make that up. So, 
um, you know, uh, against like a lot of maniacs, I like to keep the pots as small as I can and just exploit them. But, uh, if you run card dead against certain maniacs that have somewhat of a clue, uh, they can give you a lot of trouble and, you know, they can run it up pretty quick and that goes for any form. Uh, I think, you know, pot limit, limit, no limit. Um, let's see here. Um, you know, a lot of times you pick out a donk, guys that are just donk betting. You know, you raise before the flop, they lead into you constantly. Uh, a lot of times they have weak hands. Uh, some guys are pretty tricky with it, um, where they can lead into you with, like, bottom pair. You And they'll get you to call down with ace high. But typically guys that will lead into you heads up, sign of a bad player. And, uh, you know, you could... Uh, you could raise them right on the flop just to see if they're just leading into you with air uh, early in a match. Or, you know, you could just uh, call them sometimes as like a blocker and they'll just give give up on the turn even if you have nothing. Um, let's see here. Um, another thing, if, if you're playing heads up, doesn't matter what it is. No limit, pot limit, uh, limit. Rakeback's not a huge factor. It always helps. I mean, if you're putting in huge volume, sure, rakeback will help a little bit. But it's never a huge factor when it comes to uh, heads up anything unless you're playing high volume sit and goes i think that's where um you have your smallest edge and heads up but um unless you're like a truly unbelievable player but uh the rate can add up there pretty fast if you're playing high volume sit and goes if you get a you know always look for the best rake back deal you can like i said earlier uh last year the, the up until a certain point when the new merge owners came in there were people there were um you know, some of these skins were giving out humongous deals. So always try and find the best rake back deal you can get or stay on the most trusted networks. Um, another thing I see a lot of people doing is um, I see them not respecting, um, you know, the guys that are paying them their money. You're playing against donks or recreational players. Um, I see a lot of people with bad etiquette towards them when they lose, calling them a donk, you know, this and that, you suck. Uh, why do you want to berate the guy that's basically paying your salary? Um, if a guy, you know, you're winning a lot of money off him, why do you want to give them bad etiquette? I know I've probably been a victim at this. Everybody has. Not everybody, but, you know, you get frustrated. You say something, but um, I haven't done that in a long, long time. But always respect, especially respect the donks, and you want to make them feel comfortable. Otherwise, they won't come back. Um, you know, you don't want to talk strategy ever at the tables either. Um, cause you just don't, or you don't want to be the guy that's being the coach at the table. I still see a lot of players. Usually they're bad players. You should have done this. Why did you do that? I did this. Don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, acting like they're the fucking the pro, but you just never want to give any information to anybody really at the table. Um, if you're going to give any information, it should be between your friends or on forums discussing hands. Just remember that the donks pay the bills and you don't want to do anything to get them better or you don't want anything to make them not want to play with you anymore. Um, let me see here. Um, yeah, your goal, it's always to play the best game. So you're always, you want to be nice to those people. Um, another thing, um, always play at your own pace. Sometimes you'll be playing against a guy that will uh, have the like three button bet pressed before you hit raise. And, you know, your raise goes in and the three bets in the pot. Um, and then you just start playing faster than you'd like to because that guy plays fast and you start making mistakes. And uh, sometimes you can play faster though to to get a guy on tilt because he he doesn't he won't you know if 
if he's playing fast and you start playing really fast against him and he starts losing, he might start jamming and jamming and jamming and jamming buttons. But always play at your own pace where you feel most comfortable, especially in heads-up games because uh, if you don't, you're more prone to make mistakes and you're more prone to go on tilt if you start playing faster than you'd like to at somebody else's pace that they like to play at. So always play at your own pace. Um, something I was a victim of for a long time and, uh, it used to tilt me on full tilt way back when, you know, I would raise and some, somebody would already have the three butt bet impressed. And I, if I'd have them dominated and then they'd suck out and the game would just go so fast and you lose so many bets so quickly, uh, it just doesn't feel good. So I just start slowing down. Sometimes I would do it just to get the other guy to slow down. I'd wait 30 seconds or time the clock down until I'd make a move. Uh, because I, I just didn't play better sometimes when I was playing at such a fast pace. So play at your own pace. Um, you know, fast can be bad sometimes. Sometimes it can be good. Um, let's see here. Um, going to take a quick break, uh, and then I'll take a look if you guys posted anything else in the chat, and then um, do a rundown on some 6-max stuff, little security stuff, um, and few other things and I'll, I'll take some of the questions from uh i'll take some of the questions from the forum and if you guys want to call in i'll give you the call in number as well and um just gonna take a quick break thanks when the keys stole the hallway they climbed up through the gate they didn't mean to be impolite but they just couldn't wait where comes the joker with his silly grin he carries a martini Here comes the Joker. We all must laugh, cause we're all in this together.
get the six max um like i said i'm not going to get into the specifics on how to play hands or how to break down certain hands stuff like that uh admittedly i'm not the best at it breaking down why you should have did this why you should have did that um i mean i can but it's it, the best thing is experience break them down yourself and figure out why you're losing and um you know talk about your hands with other people um with with other guys uh with friends or get coaching or something like that but um uh, take a look at the chat and then um i'll see exactly what uh what's going on here for questions um let's see Rolo asks, can you pull six mig figures a year playing limit? Of course you can. Um, if you work hard enough at it, you can. I mean, I'm, I'll pro I'm on pace to make over six figures over a year span right now. Will it slow down? Probably. Um, could I make over six figures? Sure. Um, buddy of mine, um, I think he might have made like 300000 last year playing um, fixed limit, but... He played on Party, Merge, a couple others. If you get the best rake-back deals possible, take advantage of bonuses and put in the dedication and the time, and um, you, you can easily clear six figures. You you, you can clear it just in rake-back and be a break-even player if, if you want to put the time and effort in. You just have to find the games and play on the right networks. Um, there was still limit players, a couple that made about a half million last year. I think T Soprano made it on Poker Stars. Uh, Spidey might have come close to that. Spidey eighty five, a guy who was playing in the same games as me just a couple of years ago, and now he's vaulted up to be one of the best players in, in limit hold'em. Uh, I think he he was a guy that learned how to take position in games, and I'll get to that in a minute um, on how that changed the face of the game and how it used to piss me off. Um, but then I, I got um, 
you know, I got better at doing something like that myself. Uh, let me see here. I'm just going to spin through this chat. Um, see if I missed anything. If you guys have any questions, just post them now in the chat because I'm scrolling it up and it just keeps pulling me back down. Um, no limit. Someone asked about bet sizing, something like that. Um, the biggest leaks that I see also, I can give you the biggest, some leaks for limit. Uh, for no limit, I, can, I couldn't tell you bet sizing because I, I, I tell you the truth. I really don't know much about bet sizing. I just guess. I just started playing heads up no limit yesterday. And um, I don't know. I think the best thing to do is be tricky with your bet sizing. Um, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm going to learn as I go. And, you know, if I run another show, I'll report to you guys how I'm doing with my no limit. Um, but I started yesterday, and I'm playing uh, no limit now a little bit. Let's see here. But in limit, I'd say biggest leaks are... Guys calling down too much with ace high. Um, let's see here. You know, you call down with ace high, even in heads up, you're not going to be good a lot of the time. Um, there's certain spots, yeah, where you can where you can call down profitably with ace high. Um, but I see a lot of people just calling down in situations where there's been a lot of action on, in the pot. They'll call down with, like, ace high or bottom pairs. You know, sometimes it'll be good, but that's why it's good to take notes and know who you're playing against and know whether you're going to be good or not. A portion of the time you need to be to make the situation profitable. Another another big leak I see from limit players is playing too many smaller big blinds. Um, you know, somebody raises under the gun and a, a tight guy raises under the gun in like a full ring game and then someone protects with like ace-deuce. That might even be a leak right there. I've heard that argument. You know, you shouldn't call it ace-deuce, ace-three in that spot because... You know, even if you flop an ace, um, you're not going to get that much action off the guy, or you're going to be dominated. There's only three other aces in the deck. He might have one, or, you know, you have a shit kicker. You're out of position. Um, just situations like that. Some guys play too many buttons. Um, should be raising more on the button, obviously, and you should be pro very profitable from there, but some guys just play too many hands from the button or the cutoff or the hijack. Um, especially when there's a really good player in the small blind and big blind. A lot of guys will start attacking from the hijack with crappyish hands, and you know, then the guy's gonna, somebody's gonna call from the smaller big, or you're gonna get three bet from the button, or if you raise too much on the button, the small blind. If you're a pretty good player, you'll start three betting you more. Um, but just always remember, if if you're raising a lot on the button and you have a great player in the small and big blind, then you know you're gonna be always be up against a tough player heads up. You're gonna get check raised on any pair. Um, so it's always good to know the other guy's tendencies who you're playing against. Uh, let's see here. Let me see here. I'm just going to flip down through the chat. Um, but that's one place where I see people play really bad, though, is, is definitely the small and big. When it's small blind versus big blind, and it takes a while to figure it out. And it takes a long time to figure out whether you're doing whether what you're doing is right, what you're protecting, when you should three bet. Um, there's even some situations where you could limp from the small. I mean, I don't advocate it a lot, but depending on the player, uh, you know, you could do a lot of things. But that's where people I think screw up the most is in the blinds or just opening too many hands or protecting too many hands when they shouldn't be. So let's see here. Yeah, serious. Uh, let's see here. Uh, all right, six max. Um, 
a lot of people feel it's best to get position on the fish and it certainly is you want to have the first spot on the fish um you want to be right right on his left um but the most important thing is to be within two or three people from the weakest player in the game. You want to be first, second, or third. The further you get away from the less profitable you're going to be. Um, so always try and get the best position. If somebody leaves the game and there's no one on the waiting list, always be ready to switch seats and get position on the fish. I mean, me and how quaint who was in the chat earlier, we had, we used to have battles on, you know, who was going to get over there quick. And I remember Druff spoken about that before, how, you know, it would almost be, it would be a contest who could get who can get that seat first because you want to have position on the guy who's spewing so you can um, you can um, you know you could take position on him and try and isolate him. Um, so that's definitely key. Uh, one other thing would someone say World Series of Poker this year? Yeah, I'm going out um, probably June 18th through about June 30th. I'm going to be playing. The 2500 six max and the 5k limit. Um, that's basically going to be the field that was the 10k limit before. And the 2500 six max, sure, it's filled with a lot of good players. But uh, last year I got put on a table where um, it was an awesome table and I ran really good. I had the chip lead actually after day one, I think, in that 2500 six max. Or I had, uh, I was either first or second in chips and then I just went card dead the second day. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of really good pros, a lot of six max guys, but um, I feel really comfortable playing against just about any lineup. Um, I played just as much or more six max than probably 99% of the guys that are going to be in that field over the, since Black Friday. A lot of people don't even play online anymore, so I'm really comfortable playing uh, six max against any lineup, uh, whether there's fish or not in it. Um, I think I'm pretty good at picking things up, so... I'll, I'm looking forward to playing those two events. Um, definitely going out there for those two. So um, let's see here. Um, let's see. Back to six max. Uh, right back, it's huge. Like uh, Rolo was asking, can you make six figures? Yeah. Well, it helps to get if you you have a good rake back deal. Um, like I said, you could just you could grind forty hours a week multi tabling and make a hundred grand. Um, you know, there's some people out there that would say. Um, you know, I'd rather have you poke my eyes out with a with a fork than four table ten twenty or whatever. But you know, uh, one of my buddies, like I said, he made two hundred, three hundred thousand last year, and I'd guess a good portion of that was from rake back. Not all of it. He was a winning player in the games, and he beat the games. But you get a good rake back deal. You can um, you're gonna pull in. You know, it, it helps a lot. Um, to it, it just helps your bottom line immensely getting a good rake back deal. Um, another thing, uh, which I kind of touched on earlier with the heads up, you know, when the game gets bad, you got to quit. I mean, even if you're stuck, some people are going to want to stick around and try and get even for the night. Even if it's, you know, if two fish quit and it's you and three pros left, chances are they're probably going to sit out anyways. Some of them might be stubborn and play, but I see a lot of guys that are stuck are just like, you know, I want to get even for the night. It doesn't matter if you get even for the night because you're going to play again tomorrow. Uh, why not just play in a profitable situation tomorrow? You have to learn to put those losses behind you and move ahead. Otherwise, um, you know, it's not good for you mentally, and uh, it really doesn't matter because in the long run, it doesn't. that one session isn't going to matter. It might help you emotionally for that night, but um, you always live to fight another day and play against a better lineup. Um, let's see here. 
Hmm. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Well, good luck to you, Huntress, if you're heading out May and June. Um, I hope I had some have some luck as well. Uh, had some luck in these events over the past few years. Um, two of my first four tournaments, I think I finished in the top 12 or 13. Almost final tabled them both. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I like going out there and... Um, you know, hopefully I can get to a final table or maybe even win a bracelet this year. But uh, like I was saying before, uh, protecting the big blind, I, I think that's a huge leak for a lot of players. In uh, You know, I just touched on it. I just see a lot of people playing too many big blinds when they're either going to be dominated or whatever, or they'll flop bottom pair. I mean, often, you know, you hear it a lot, like ace-king versus 6-4. It's, what, 60-40 or something like that. Um but you got to remember, if uh, you know, if another guy flops a four, let's say you just called from the big blind with ace king, yeah, it's, you're a sixty forty favorite. But on the flop, you have to make a decision and put in bets. And if you don't hit a hand, um, you know, you'd have to call those other two cards. I'm not saying anything about that hand in particular, but you got to remember, it's, when hands are sixty forty or fifty five forty five, that's based on five cards coming out, not the flop. So, uh, you know, a lot of people base their decision on five cards but you gotta remember you gotta call bets pre-flop bets on the flop so there's a lot of things that go into this um let's see here i touched on the blind versus blind uh takes a while to figure out whether you're profitable there um and how you should be playing blind versus blind um takes a long time to figure out probably statistically whether you're doing and what you're doing is right i just see too many people playing too many hands there and just getting crushed um, it's happened to me i mean you know if i go away from six max for a while sometimes you know i'll come back and um i have some leaks and that's definitely what happened to me in 2011 um a little about you know and going into 2012 uh i just went on such a heater and i think i was protecting too many big blinds playing too many certain hands and calling too many flops with some bad hands you know on a huge upswing and then it was followed by a huge downswing when you know, the cards actually evened out, my heater ended, and a lot of my leaks just contributed to a downswing, and, um, you know, that's just the way it goes. Sometimes, you know, you ride a heater and you're doing the wrong thing. If you continue doing it, you know, it's going to burn you in the ass sooner or later. So keep working on your game and figure out what you're doing wrong, um, for sure. Uh, you know, I've even seen, I think Quaternion told me, uh, you know, if you have like 2-2 two, two or 3-3 three, three in a limit hold'em game, he's, he says he folds those on the button. Um, you know, or like maybe even like Ace Deuce folds those on the button just because, you know, if the two players are in the small and big blind, you're not going to be that much of a favorite over them with 2-2, two, 3-3, two, three, three, you know, Ace Deuce, you're going to get played back at and just get put in a lot of tricky situations with hands like that. Um, not 100% of the time, but, you know, you can advocate folding those in certain situations. Some people tell me they think that's crazy, but this is coming from, you know, a guy who's made millions of dollars and one of the best players in the world um games get bad always quit them i mean that's just the smartest thing to do i just see a lot of people sticking around just to get even blah 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 like i said live to fight another day um let's see here another way to look at it a lot of people will ask me sometimes what's the difference between nine max six max how do you adjust your game um 
you just got to remember if if you're playing nine max and the under the gun raises, I mean under the gun folds, under the gun plus two folds, under the gun plus three folds. You're it's it's a six max game. You're playing six max. So um, you know I I I always struggled you know in the beginning when I first started playing like how to adjust my game from six max to nine max. Well, that's all you got to remember. Um, if the three guys fold in the first three seats, you're playing six max now. Um, and you know, you gotta, if somebody raises in those seats, you gotta, gotta lay down some hands you'd open in six max if you're in like middle position. Um, but just always remember those first three folds, you're playing six max right away. Um, but anyhow, you know, someone opens early, you know, you're going you to fold hands like ace-10 suited sometimes, stuff like that. Even like ace-jack, you know, hands that people want to play, depending on who it is that raises, whether you want to get into the pot with them. You just got to play a little tighter when there's people that open earlier in 9-max. Um, let's see here. Uh, touched on this. Like I said, yeah, a lot of, a lot of leaks I see from people is uh, protecting weak hands, especially in a, in a ring game. Uh, Nine-handed, someone will open under the gun and then... You know, someone will call from, like, the small or big blind, complete their hand with, like, a trash hand, like Ace-2 or, like, uh, you know, something crappy like that. And then, you know, you get put in a tricky situation, and ultimately, you know, that's just a hand that's probably not going to be profitable in that situation. And, you know, a lot of people just get, you know, somebody might hit, protect that Ace-Deuce and get lucky two or three times in a row, and then, you know, the next 40 times they play it, they get destroyed 90% of the time, so... Uh, short term, you know, you see yourself win a hand uh, in a certain spot, one, two, three, four, five times. You know, it seems right at the time, and you think you're doing it right, but ultimately it's going to destroy you over time. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see. Like I was saying earlier about limping in these games, I, I found myself in some, um, you know, if the game's really loose, I don't care. I'll limp sometimes first in. I mean, People might tell me I'm crazy, but it's been working. Uh, you know, I never really advocate limping early in, but if I know four guys behind me are going to cold call, you know, either if you're going to raise, you either got to tighten up your range or, uh, you know, sometimes you, you can't be raising with certain hands. You'd normally raise with tougher guys in the game because they're smart enough to lay down. So if guys are calling behind you with trash, like cold calling, sometimes I don't mind just coming in limping with, with like a shitty hand. Um, something that I wouldn't even normally open with in a six max game, like a pair of fours under the gun. I'll limp in with that. If I know four, I like, if I'm in a really, really good game and I know four guys behind me are going to cold call, I'll just limp in, play it. And you know, if I hit a set or something, I'm going to win a huge pot. Um, if not, I just lay it down on the flop and I know they're not going to raise behind me because they're fish. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, games like that are, are you know, they're few and far, but few and far between to find, but you know, they pop up once in a while, and you have to be ready for every situation. So, you know, uh, as much as you like to stick with, you just want to isolate, do this. If you're in a really, really, really loose game, uh, sometimes the goal is just to get in as many pots as cheaply as you can. And when you make something, you just uh, you, know, you just go to town on these guys. Um, let's see. Like I was saying earlier, too, with the wait lists, that's something I've been doing, you know. You, I keep an eye on the wait lists. I want to be the first guy to come in um, on that wait list um, if I see a fish on the wait list. And like I was saying earlier about uh, Poker Stars, back in, like, 2010, late 2010, when I started playing more Six Max and more Ring, um, 
I remember I, I, I would seat a table, so I'd be the only guy sitting at like a 30-60 game on stars. And, you know, I was doing it because ultimately my goal is to get the game started, but I want to get as many heads-up hands in as possible before the rest of the Sharks come falling in behind me. So I would literally sit at a 30-60 game, and there were certain hours of the day where, you know, Fish would join me, and he'd join, uh, let's say he joined on my left. Uh, within one or two hands, the rest of the table is full. All the Sharks come, and they take positions, so... I used to get pissed off. I'm like, you know, you, you see guys write it, heads up, please, heads up, please. And, you know, if the other guy doesn't ask for heads up, then, um, you know, you're stuck in that six max game and you're out of position. You don't have good position on the fish and these guys are just popping in on there. And I would get pissed at first, but, I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, there's no heads up tables over there. And that's what I learned. Look, I learned I, I, I got to get better at six max again. I have to relearn this game. And a lot had changed. And, um... I had to relearn it. I did, and it, it took a couple months, but I went on a huge heater after that. And uh, I started doing the same thing. What I would do is I would keep all my tables down at the bottom, so when they popped, they would I would have them pop up when someone joined me. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I have two 30-inch monitors. I, w- I would put everybody else's tables and minimize them on my on my screen. So I'd have, like, 30 tables open on my screen, and I would just sit here every day, and st- I would just stare at the screen. Yeah, it sounds boring, and it can be boring, but that's how I got the money. I would just sit here, and I would look at 30 tables, and I'd have music playing or something. As soon as a fish or another player jumped on a pro's table, I would just grab position on him. And, um, you know, first guy in, or I'd be the second guy in, and, you know, you get the first shot to isolate that guy, and that's how you make the money. So, uh, let me see here. Uh, I'll get the fly on the walls question in a minute. Um, let me see here. We'll get to some of these questions now. Um, who's better at heads up, me or Druff? I, I probably have more experience than Druff does heads up overall. I mean, he probably played a lot more. Um, you know, he he certainly played a lot of heads up back uh, back when. But even he says he wishes he got involved in the heads up scene. I mean, if Druff got involved, learning heads up. And just focusing on more heads up instead of just a six max games, he probably would have made a lot more than he did. But he still made a lot of money uh, playing poker. So I wouldn't. I don't know. I'm not going to say I'm better than Druff heads up, but I certainly know that I probably have a lot more experience just playing straight heads up than Druff. Um, and my win rate's probably around four big bets per hundred playing heads up limit. Um, maybe even five. Um, let's see here. Um, but uh, Druff did tell me an interesting story once. and um, uh, Actually, this is something I didn't have written down that just popped into my mind. He told me once when uh, he was on Cake Poker back in, I don't know, 2007 or something, some guy hit a tournament for about a quarter million or 200000 and the guy kept popping into the games every day, and Druff told me he stayed up for like two days straight because he knew this guy was going to be playing 100-200, and Druff probably took... I, I don't know. I'll just throw a figure out there. He took like maybe eighty to two hundred thousand. I don't know how much he won off this guy, but he won a majority of the money off this guy. Just some fish that hit a big tournament, and you know, Druff dedicated two or three days to just absolutely tracking this de- guy down and just destroying him every day. And the guy blew all the money. I mean, you see guys do that still in the Sunday Million. You know, you see guys they'll, they'll win a quarter million or a half million, and then they go and play. Uh, you know, they'll go and play like whatever thousand dollar sit and goes or 5k sit and goes well um you know that's what uh 
That was a good story that Druff told me, and I actually have done the same thing. If I know a guy's going to be online for 12 hours, I'll force myself to stay up, suck down coffee, five-hour energies, whatever I have to do to stay up because, you know, just like a three-hour interval could make the difference in your month or, you know, maybe even your year. Um, Another thing about seating. Sometimes when I know there's a certain guy online and I know he's going to join my table, I know what seats some guys like to sit in. So if I see a guys, a certain guys online, usually if I'm playing seating a six max game by myself, I'll sit bottom left because often the fish is going to balance off the table and sit on my right. They just do it because it looks better. And I, I don't know why I think it's something in your brain that, you know, it just even out the table. They usually sit right on your right, but there's one guy that always takes the top right seat. There's two seats up top, left and right, and there's one on the left and one on the right. And this guy always takes that top right seat. So if I see that he's online and I know he's jumping around table to table, I'll take that seat on the right side and I have 100% success against with this guy joining directly on my right. And then, you know, if the table fills, I have best position to destroy this guy. Um, And it's been been 100% for like the last year and a half. Um, So it's like little things like that that just seem trivial, but they're so important when it can add to your bottom line. Um, let's see here. Um, just going to take a quick look here. guys see if you guys have any uh, valid questions and then I'll get back to what I was talking about uh, fly on the wall say your question could I beat Yeb site heads up probably um, I actually mentioned a druff a couple things I thought he should have done different in that match uh, not that they definitely wouldn't would have worked but against the Yeb site I probably would have played a little tighter three bet less and just let him bleed himself to death I didn't watch the whole match um, but I mean, you can critique any match. I mean, you could look at any of my matches and say the same thing. Um, but it's all a crapshoot sometimes when you're playing heads up. I mean, one, one match doesn't mean anything. Um, let me see here. Back in the day, what was your starting bankroll before multi-monitors? I mean, when I started playing professionally, I probably had like a $3,000 bankroll playing three, six and five, 10 heads up. And you know, I just ran that up, and actually, that that first six months when I was a heads up pro, only playing three six and five ten, I was making thousand, two thousand a week. But I was losing a lot of money sports betting then. It's kind of odd because that's when the NCAA, when the when Vegas started pulling the basketball totals because uh, a guy that I know that has a service was beating them at like sixty percent, and people were crushing them, and uh, they took all those games off the board. And there were only select games, and uh, he didn't offer his service anymore. But I went through another service of a guy who was God, and uh, I wound up losing quite a bit of money. The guy lost like 17 in a row. I actually found a guy that was taking all the totals, even though Vegas didn't have them. They were still putting totals up, but most of the major sports books didn't have them, and uh, I lost a lot of my money that I initially won betting on sports. And that's when I, I toned down sports for a couple of years and didn't bet anything that would lose me significant money. But um, you start in bankroll. I, I I've never um, I I've never gone broke since 2009, and I don't practice any specific bankroll management. 
Um, I just put in what I need to put in to play the games. Uh, but, you know, uh, typically be prepared to go on a thousand big blind downswing, big bet downswing if you're playing limit. It's going to happen sooner or later. It usually happens most of the time. But if you can get it in a lot of heads up play, you won't see a thousand big blind downswing, big bet downswing because if you're playing heads up and you're going to win a lot more money if you're in the proper games uh, or two and three handed, you'll see a lot more variance, but um, it will overall help you not to go broke and not see that thousand big bet downswing. People used to say you need 300. Well, uh, a thousand, it's a th at least a thousand. I mean, um, my buddy, who's the, the two biggest, all the two biggest uh, limit hold'em winners from merge for since black Friday up until the, when the game stopped running um, full time in this January, both hit thousand big bet downswings. So be ready for a thousand big bet downswing. Um, let me just see here. Um, I'm just gonna scroll down, see what we got, or scroll up, see if I missed anything. Uh, fly on the wall. Uh, Post your question again. Yeah, John Stamos. Um, back, I mentioned this earlier. I mean, back when I started playing Heads Up in 2009, um, it was very easy because, you know, if you open the Stars Lobby now, there'll be 20 guys sitting at like 510, 25 guys sitting at 1020 or whatever. Uh, back then, it was it was just me and two other guys. So nonstop all day, someone would just sit at my table. And I think over like uh, from 2009 till 2011, I made about, after a rake back, I think I made like thirty thousand before rake back playing heads up had three six heads up limit just on poker stars thirty thousand playing heads up limit maybe forty thousand even and uh then adding rake back I don't know how much that was but um yeah I mean it was just so easy I mean nonstop all day I could just cherry pick back then guys would just join if I didn't like didn't think I matched up well against them I would just quit and yeah. You know, and then just somebody else would come. It was pretty much nonstop action all day. But, you know, more people started, um, more people started playing. Um, let me see here. But uh, back to Druff. Druff was, uh, you know, I, I really, from watching Druff back in the 100-200, back in like 2003, 2004, I remember I was like, oh, this guy, you know, it's just a cool screen name, I thought. And. You know, I always wanted to get to that level where I could play that high. It was just like a dream of mine to, you know, be playing against these 100, 200 players. But I just never believed I was good enough. Didn't put in the work to do it. And, um, you know, I was just betting a lot of sports and partying and drinking a lot. And uh, another thing about drinking and partying when you're playing, I mean, I've had some big scores where I've, you know, I've won. But for every time I've done that, I probably have 20 losses. So it's not good to drink and play um, unless you're playing really low or have good self-control. Um, never play like limits that'll affect you, and that was my problem for a while. I probably blew at least fifty thousand of my profits playing like fifty hundred, hundred, two hundred, two hundred, four hundred. When I had like decent bank rolls for like fifteen, thirty, thirty, sixty, you know, I would get drunk, come home once in a while, and I would play against Stickman or you know, I'd play against some of the best heads up players in the world. And granted, though, the last time I played Stickman when I was wasted, um. I think I lost about five or 10,000 playing like 100, 200, or 200, 400. Uh, I actually took a lot out of that match, even though I was so wasted. And I remember I wrote a blog and I told Quarterny and I said, there's a lot of things the way Stickman exploited me. And I saw how he did it. And I said, I'm going to incorporate a lot of this into my game. And uh, sure as shit stinks. Um, 
over the next two months, I won about sixty or 70000 or something like that, playing 30, 60, 50, 100, 15, 30, 20, 40. Um, you know, so maybe the investment was, was worth it just to, you know, almost better than coaching just to see how he exploited me. And I remember those hand histories I looked over just to see what he did to me and uh, see what I could do to other people the same way. So, but more often than not, if you're drinking and playing, it's not going to end up good. Um, let me see. Um, yeah, I got to this, the lobby watching. I mean, it's always good to lobby watch, especially on like stars, because that's the toughest network in the world to play limit hold'em. And, uh, you know, if you're the guy sitting, as soon as somebody joins, the table's going to be filled with five shocks and a six six max game or a nine max game and they've actually implemented now where people after the fish goes broke even if he's gonna reload if you if the fish goes broke now on stars and you sit out they just kick you off the table automatically it's called it's like part of their fair play they haven't segregated um players but if you sit out after a fish goes broke like they have people that monitor this now they just kick you off the table and um buddy of mine got didn't think it was but at the same time you could sit in and play against the best players or whatever. I mean, you can argue about it either way, but it seems like stars, I mean, as harsh as that seems to some people, you know, at least you get to play in games versus everybody on poker stars and all, a lot of the other networks going on this network segregation crap, which I think could backfire on them and it's not going to help. Um, and for some networks like lock poker, I think it's to prevent higher stakes players from moving money around or dumping or whatever. Um, you know, and another thing that people have, I've heard that some of the higher stakes players will pay people to watch the lobbies for them. They'll be out, you know, doing their day, whatever, and, you know, running errands, and they'll keep a laptop in the car with them. Certain guys sit down. Somebody, It's somebody's job to actually sit 40 hours a week and wait until they see good players. I mean, bad players in games, and they'll, they'll call the high stakes guy and be like, hey, XXX is playing. The guy will flip his laptop out and play against them. Uh, I know I know of one guy who hired somebody and paid them a certain amount of money per week to do that to just watch the lobbies for people. Um, some I think PTR might have like a, a text thing where you can set it up, put your phone number in. Certain player sits at the table, you will actually get a text. So uh, it, it's unbelievable, but that's you know how people hunt fish down. It's all about their bottom line, and people want to make money, and that's how they do it. Um, you know, it would be the equivalent to a high-stakes guy. It would be the equivalent of me telling you, like, you can go rob a bank right now and get away with it. You know, it's just free money. Well, when you're a world-class player and you're playing against a guy 10, 20, 50, a million levels below you has no chance. It's free money to people like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some I know a guy who was paying somebody at least, like, thirty to 50000 a year to watch lobbies for him. And um, it didn't matter. It was very profitable for him. And he would get a phone call, and he would just pull his laptop out and destroy people. So, um, you know, people will go to no ends to do this. It, you know, it was the same thing. Like uh, like I was saying before, all the money comes from heads up. Um, you look at how Dwan and Galfon, they all, it was, that whole high-stakes economy was funded by Guy Liberte. He must have lost 20 to $50 million in those full-tilt games, you know, uh, Tom Dwan's graph never would have reached, like, plus 10 million before he had that huge loss to Isildur. Probably if it wasn't for, like, guys like Guy Liberte, he still would have been a winning player and been one of the biggest winning players. But Guy is the one that absolutely um, 
got Guy funded that entire full tilt poker high stakes economy for years, and a few other guys too. Um, let me see here. World Series of Poker. Where do I stay? The first year I rented a condo uh, with Set of Kings and his brother for like a month. Last couple of years, uh, two years ago, I stayed at the Rio, and this past year, I stayed uh, at the Orleans because it was cheap and I wasn't uh, doing the best cash-wise at the time. Um, so Brandon actually hooked me up, and I got a pretty good deal there. I don't know where I'm staying this year. Um, I mean, probably the Rio, maybe Caesars. Um, you know, wherever I can, wherever is bet, wherever is cheapest for me. May, I might even rent a place again. And, uh, I might stay out there longer than the 12 days. Maybe I'll stay out there for a few weeks. I'm really not even sure. Uh, but if you if you break everything down, it's always worth renting a car when you go out there just because of cab rides, uh, you know, unless you're going to be drinking a lot. But even if you are drinking a lot, you, you can get a rent a car. It's cheap. You can get them for 10, 20 bucks a day. And, you know, it's, it's worth it just from, you know, whatever you're going to pay to get to and from the airport. You're better off renting a car even if you're not going to use it that much. You can go to the store. If you need to buy like waters or something, it's, unless you want to pay three bucks a water, you can go get a case of water for five bucks, and that'll totally make up for your um, your car right there. Um, it's always worth renting a car, and it, actually, it probably is cheaper to rent a house for a couple weeks or rent a um, you know or rent a condo or something because it'll take away. Uh, you won't be in the casino all the time, but then again, if you're a drinker and you, you're a problem gambler when you drink, if you're one of those guys, then the house is beautiful because you just get to stay in the house. So, uh, always rent a car. Um, let's see here. Uh, does Truff still pitch that tent in the Rio parking lot? I know he hates the tent, the Rio, which they actually took out, but, uh, let's see here. Um, move on again always take advantage of uh bonuses free rolls any reload bonuses uh just take advantage of that stuff it all adds up um deposit bonuses reload bonuses and then you know a lot of times and a lot of things that i ignore they have these end of the month free rolls even when i was on stars and i was a supernova you know they'd have like a half million free roll quarterly or whatever and uh, I probably missed 70% of those tournaments, but it's a lot of value. Sometimes your schedule tournaments are on weekends, and unless you're a tournament player, you won't be around for those. But uh, it's a ton of value to play in those tournaments. And over time, you know, you could miss a huge score uh, by not playing in those. So you want to maximize every value possible and always spend your FPPs or whatever they are on whatever site they are because at any point the site could go down and you might not get them. So I'm an advocate of... Use your points and your frequent player points as fast as possible. Um, and keep also always uh, keep as min minimum amount of money online as you need. I mean, right now, I try to only keep, uh, I I'll try to keep nothing more than 2000 online. I don't care if I go broke, I'll try and get a transfer in. Or um, if I go broke with that money, you know, I'll either deposit or get a transfer in if I can get a transfer on the site. Just keep very, the very minimum that you need online to load your tables, and uh, especially at this day and age. Um, like right now, one problem that I have, um, it's only so, many, so much I can request per week on a certain site that I'm on. I have about, I think I had about 30,000 in pending cash outs going, going into this week, but I think I got two checks processed this week for about five grand which I expect before the end of the week, but at the same time, 
uh, you know, I have I have a decent amount stuck on there right now. Um, and you can only get off so much at a time, but that's one of the risks I take by playing online poker. I'd still rather do that than go sit in a casino and play live all day. Even if it was a soft game, uh, I just can't stomach playing 30 hands an hour or whatever it is. Um, and I live downswings would tilt the fuck out of me. That's one beauty about why I like playing online is, you know, I hit a downswing. I can just outrun it with volume live. You can only play a certain amount per hour. You can only play 30 hands per hour, 40, 40 max maybe. Um, so you, it just takes longer to outrun those downswings. And, um, you know, you could go, you could go a year you know, breaking even or losing just because you're not going to get in enough volume there and you can't see your true run good or your expected value. Um, you can over a long period of time, but online you, you can get to the point where, you know, you can outrun the variance and see your true variance. So that's why I, um, that's why I hate playing live. Um, let's see here. Yeah. ACR withdrawal limits suck. Yeah. They, they're, uh, yeah, their transfer limits suck. The, the, sometimes they, they limit you to transfers. Then when you receive a transfer, um, they'll force you to play so much. That's another thing. Always know how much you have to play if you transfer. Uh, I actually got in an argument with them because I talked to a chat guy. And uh, I said, if I transfer to a buddy, can he cash out immediately? And they said he has to play like X amount of hands. And I said, okay. So uh, this is money I want on merge and like. November and December and uh I transferred him like 25 or 30 grand and he cashed it out for me because he owed me a favor and uh he played the hands and uh then they told him he couldn't cash it out um because he didn't you know he didn't he had to play more or something like that and eventually you know he saved the chat and they fixed it but you know always be aware of what you have to play on a transfer I think Reggie Man staked somebody and the guy won, like, a huge score. It was in the hundreds of thousands or something. And the kid transferred back his portion to Reggie Man. And Poker Stars told him that he couldn't um, he couldn't cash it out, even though, you know, he staked the kid and he won the money. They said he had to play, like, 100,000 hands or something ridiculous like that. And he had to rake a certain amount. I think eventually they cut him a break on him. Cut him a break on it because they understood the situation. But at first, they you know, they were telling him, you got to... You gotta play a certain amount. Um, you know, as far as security goes, uh, one thing I didn't do for a while was the RSA tokens. Um, always get an RSA token. I still have my full tilt one right here in my desk drawer, and it still works. Um, I actually had to use it to log into the site when the last time I tried to log in. Um, I didn't use one for a while, but I finally, you know, it was cheap. I got one through the FPP store back in whenever it was before. Um, a year and a half or something before stars and full tilt went down, but n nobody can really hack your site unless they hack the RSA and then get your password as well. You got to put a password in and then you got to put in the six, uh, six number thing from the RSA tokens. Um, always, um, always use the most advanced security as you can or make your password as difficult to figure out. Um, cause I mean, I couldn't believe it. Daniel Negreanu had his account hacked and somebody, would they dust off like a hundred grand? And I couldn't believe the guy didn't have an RSA token with that type of money in there. Sure. It probably doesn't make as big of a dent to a guy like him. That's being staked. Um, a guy who's being staked, um, uh, who's sponsored by poker stars. Um, you know, it, it, it certainly hurts. I mean, a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand, but how don't you have an RSA token? 
Um, it's just ridiculous. Uh, always use security. Always run scans. I run scans once, twice a day sometimes to see, you know, if there's anything that's trying to infiltrate my computer or anything on my computer. And I actually found something on my computer. Don't know how it got there um, a few weeks ago. Um but it got removed. I think it, I think it, uh, it was like an add-on or something for Google Chrome, and they just threw something in there that could have become harmful. So um, you know, always run like AVG free or malware bytes or buy buy good security. Just search out there and find the best security to prevent being hacked. Um, maybe use a separate email for poker from your personal email because you can have all kinds of stuff going there. Could accidentally click on a link. Some, you know, somebody could infiltrate your computer. You never know. Never give out your passwords to anyone. You know, never share your account with anybody. Um, you just never know when some, you know, some people. A lot of people back in the day were just trustworthy with people, and um, you know, they'd let them use their account or something. And then, you know, the next thing you know, somebody goes in, they they e check it, you know, and they just fucking shoot off all your money, and you're pretty much fucked. Um, so yeah, never share your account with anybody. Um, and, um, you know, we always focus when you're playing, try and work out if you can. I've had some of my best results when I've been working out, eating right. You're just more relaxed days ago when you're, you're eating crap and, uh, you know, you're not sleeping right. It's always good to get, um, full night's sleep every night. And, um, you know, playing earlier in the day when you're fresher, um, is always better than playing later when you're tired. You just make worse decisions later in the day. Sometimes you, you can only play later because that's when the good games are, but we're playing earlier in the day is obviously always best. Um, you know, or you just got to adjust your lifestyle around playing when the games are best. You can't sometimes go on the schedule you want to play. You got to play on the schedule, which, uh, where you can actually play in the games and play, um, and play profitably. Um, and as far as networks go, you know, back way back when, which was wasn't too long ago, uh, before Black Friday, you know, everybody wanted to play on Stars and Full Tilt. Well, you know, you always got to search around for other networks where there won't be other pros playing or other poker players playing, and you you can find some very profitable situations. Like I was playing on Carbon back in 2009, 2010, and I ha- pretty much had the site to myself for about a year and a half. Um, just non-stop action every day you know and i'd just be laughing at some of the guys oh i don't want to play there they'd i just want to play full tilt and stars well you know if you go searching around sometimes you can find places like that that could be a gold mine uh i actually found a, a small european site recently that does take u.s players i'm not going to say what it is but uh I jumped on there, deposited some money, and they actually sent checks to the United States. It says they don't take U.S. players, but uh, I won some money, and they cashed me out. And the actions, they have their own network. Uh, it's just a small site, and they said they'd take me on. I won some money. They cashed me out, and the checks cleared. Um, and it was some of the softest games I've seen in years. So I'll always be scouting around uh, for little poker sites like that. Uh, whether you can trust them or not is up to you, but if do you think it's worth the risk to make a small deposit and think you can run it up? Then go for it. Um, you know, it's always risk versus reward. If you can turn a small risk and get a big reward, then it's worth it. Um, you know, I think Reggie Man t- said there was one poker site back in the day that he bankrupted the whole site because he had it to himself. And I think the site went under and they owed him money, and I think he got paid it all too. Um, you know, sometimes you can get your own... It'll, be like your own network where you'll feel like, like I used to feel when I wasn't on carbon pre black Friday, 
when I was away from the tables and I came on and I seen somebody playing a fish, I felt like they were stealing from me. I felt like I owned the friggin' network. Like it just got to that point where, you know, this, this is my network, you know, that's just how I felt in my mind. And, uh, it made me play more, um, you know, just because, you know, good things don't last forever and you got to take advantage of them while you can. So, um, you know, uh, let's see here. Um, the thing I wanted to touch on is like saving your money. If you're making money, you always want to, um, you always want to save your money because you never know when, um, you never know when you're going to need it. You think it's going to last forever, but it never does. It's like an NFL player. Uh, I watched the 30 for 30 film the other night broke and I think it was like 60% of NFL players are broke two years when they're out of the league. Well, I think the same probably holds for a lot of, uh, poker professionals, uh, you know, when their games dry out, they either play in bad games and go broke or they spend it on other leagues like drugs, alcohol, sports betting. And, you know, they think they're just going to print money forever. But you always have to save and be ready, uh, which is why what I'm starting to do now, I probably should have started doing a while ago. Heads up, no limit and heads up PLO. I'm going to start playing those. And uh, I started yesterday playing them. And, um, you know, I'm just going to try and add more stuff to my repertoire. So I... Um, so I don't, so I don't ever have to face that situation. I've faced the situation of having to be staked a couple times, and trust me, when you're a winning player who's done nothing but win, um, it sucks giving away thirty percent. As much as you're, you know, you're you're gracious and you give gratitude to the people that are staking you, um, it sucks giving away that thirty percent because you, you know, I probably gave away twenty thousand in um in stake money over the last year and a half paying back backers because. It's because I didn't manage my money as good as I should have. And um, I've usually been pretty good with that. A lot of it was due to downswings. I didn't go out and, like, spend any money on extravagant things. But it was just a lack of focus, not staying dedicated, and, um, you know, just monthly and lifely expenses. I'm proud to say, though, I've never been broke ever um, as a professional. I've come close. You know, my bankroll's gotten thin. Um, I've never had to, you know, borrow or go into – you know, going to credit cards, I've, I've made uh, every credit card bill I've ever had. I've paid in full every month, and I've, I've never, fortunately, never, ever gone broke. And uh, that's something proud I can say. Five years, I mean, it's tough to go five years and do nothing but play poker for a living and not go broke. I mean, there's very few people that can say that, um, and I'm very proud of that. Um, but it does suck selling action uh, for cash games for me. I mean... As much, as much as it's great that I play, uh, when you fork that 30% over, it's like, man, if you were just smarter and managed your money a little bit better, you know, that would be going in your pocket. I mean, I could be driving around in almost like a, a brand new BMW or something right now, or, you know, buy, I could have bought a condo out of that money that um, I paid back backers, but it just it make, makes me more hungry to, to play better and, um, you know, be prepared for those situations. That's why I'm starting to study again. Um, you know, I've opened up some, I opened up a, a subscription to a video site. I'm going to try and watch some videos and uh, learn a couple new games so I can just spread my, um, spread everything out because, I mean, everybody thought the limit hold landscape was drying up a couple of years ago. Well, it's, it's really starting to dry up now. So I just got to be ready for the next thing for the, you know, what I have to do to continue to play and sustain my lifestyle to move forward. Um, let me see here. 
so always be prepared for those down swings and you know I advocate like I said earlier take shots um, take shots if you if uh, if you think it's going to be profitable um, it usually is taking shots I mean take shots get a good run up just always be, have the mindset you have to drop back um, unless you have a way to reload you have to drop back um, if you take shots and you know, you could ride a heat wave just by taking shots, and you could blast up to the top. Maybe you'll discover that you have some unhidden talent where you're one of the best players at your level. Um, let me take a look here. Um, let's see. Uh, Sheets just uh, PM me. I was planning on maybe having him on tonight, uh, but I just did this spur of the moment, and uh, he said he'll come on another time for sure. And I know you guys posted a questionnaire a couple months back, and uh, – We'll certainly have him on the next show I run in Quaternion um, just to get their thoughts on things. I'm just going to take another quick break, and I just have a few other points that I'm going to break down about staking and uh, leaving cash on sites and tournaments. Uh, won't be as long as these other segments because I could talk on forever about limit hold'em, heads up, and you know certain things, leaks, blah, 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 but... I'll just touch on some quick points, take some questions, and if you guys want to call in, you can call in after this break, and I'll give the phone number out. But um, glad you guys have listened, and uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back in um, about five minutes. Uh, let me just find something here before I go on break. Heaven. 
So yeah, um, get into a few, touch on a few more things before we wrap it up here. Uh, cash on sites, I already get into this. Um, keep the minimum amount that you need for your stakes. Um, if you're going to load on, I mean, you can get a lot of the money on onto sites now. I mean, through 2 plus 2 via discount on certain sites. Like, if you made the stupid choice to play on lock poker, you could buy 10,000 lock poker chips for 6,000. Problem is you're not going to be able to get them off. Um, there are actually a lot of people that were buying chips and just buying chips exclusively on like uh, Carbon or wherever when they allowed transfers and making a lot of money, just giving people bank wires for 80% and making, you know, sending 10,000, sending 8,000 for 10,000. A lot of euros were doing this because they could just pull it off via money bookers. Um, and, uh, you know, it worked pretty good for a while and, or they, you know, they charge certain rates, but the sites uh, merge eventually shut down their player-to-player transfers. I think Lock, uh, they might have limited the amount you could transfer, but um, you know, uh, there's certain ways you could get discounts to get chips on. But then you got to remember when you're gonna cash it out, you either had to wait or you had to pay to get it off. So some situations, you know, you could you could buy for sixty percent and then just sell it for sixty percent. But if you win a lot, you're gonna be giving away 40% of your profits if you're going to choose to play on a shady site like Locke. But um, um, what else here? Um, if you're going to trade for chips, don't just trade with anybody. I mean, somebody could sell you an old line of garbage. Like, I'm trustworthy. I actually got roped into this by a, a user back on Donkdown. I gave him, like, five 400 AP or something for certain amount stars, and, you know, he ripped me off, and... You know, I had a better reputation than him at the time. I should have had him ship first, but he tricked me pretty good. People can get deceptive and uh, be very good at how they scam people. He told me he actually picked the player on stars and said he was like Roxy something. And he's like, I can't chat, though. I wanted him to chat and say exactly what I told him to do. But he already had a backup for that. He said, look, it says no chat next to my name. And I was like, oh, he must have got his chat banned. So I'm like, all right, I believe him. That's definitely him. It was just some other random pro sitting with like 10 grand on a table. And um, I forget who it was, Willie. It was uh, a guy back on Donkdown. And he was from New Hampshire. Um, and then he was posting on Boris. I forget what his name was. He probably posts on this site as well under a new name. But uh, he got me for like 500 um, you know, I, I've gotten ripped off by a few people, uh, shipped to chips, uh, was a guy that loaned me tons of times, actually, he loaned me the initial hundred that I've turned into, uh, hundreds of thousands in winnings, um, but, um, he, he borrowed 200 off me when he was in a bad spot, and he, I don't even think he posts on the forums anymore, he actually burned a couple of other people. Uh, 200 there. Another guy was Animosity who posted on here is Windsor Lockwood. Um, he asked me, this was back when we were on Donkdown, or on Bo- I think it was on Boris where he PM'd me and said it was like the anniversary for the Sunday Million. This was before uh, Black Friday hit. And he was like, can you ship me 200 on Stars? I'll ship you 200 on uh, Full Tilt. And I said, all right, yeah, you ship first and I'll do it. And he's like, okay. So he shipped on full tilt, and if you remember how the transfers went on full tilt, you'd get a message saying this transfer has been initiated. So I was like, all right, he sent it. You know, I trusted him. He he was just it was only a couple hundred bucks, and he had been on you know he'd been on the forums and had never had a history of being shady or ripping anyone off. Wasn't involved in poker. I don't think a huge deal, but uh, 
you know, I got that message and I said, all right, and I was just busy. I was in my games. I was making a lot of money at the time. So I shipped him the 215 and then, um, you know, the, his transfer got declined. So I, uh, I got fucked over. Um, and then he, 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 I just didn't think a guy that had an account on the forum since like 2004 with like thousands of posts would just disappear over 200 bucks. Of course it didn't kill me, but, um, you know, I got ripped off there. Um, chip to chips yeah he's from seattle um yeah there's no never an upside of loaning but again you gotta remember ship the chips i'd i'd have him ship me 100 200 back before i was a pro player and he'd ship me no problem and i'd always pay him back um but it's just you know one time it's, you just gotta chalk it up to the game you know um i got burned there um for a couple hundred but whatever it's not gonna kill me but you know every everything's a little bit of a you know a little bit of a gamble when you do any type of transfers with anybody uh i won't trade with anybody unless they ship first now unless it's someone like druff you know or like uh you know someone like sheets i've made i think i made a trade with him once and uh you know i'll ship to someone like that first uh somebody that i know i have no chance of getting rolled by but uh, you never know i mean you could send someone 10,000 and then they could have a heart attack and you'd never get your money i mean it's always a risk when you're doing business on the internet. Um, so always be careful with who you're trading with and make sure you check their history. And if they they say, oh, verify with so-and-so, make sure that guy's legit too because, you know, there's people on 2 plus 2 now that will say, oh, check with so-and-so, and they'll give you like five Skype names or something, and then you'll go and it'll be the same guy on the same five accounts like saying, oh, yeah, I've traded 10, 20,000 with whoever, and you know, people get people get ripped off, uh, but surprisingly, it's a very small percentage um, that get ripped off on these player-to-player -player trades. But they do happen. It's happened to me, fortunately, never for a, a big amount of money. Um, but it does happen, and um, it happens a lot in the staking world too. Um, if you're gonna stake somebody, make sure you check their results. I mean, even though J JSEP, who ran that scam, um, I you notice I never bought any of his pieces. Number one, uh, I usually don't buy a lot of pieces of people. I'll stake people once in a while. I used to stake um, I used to stake Judonk uh, a lot. And uh, Judonk, we've had a good business relationship over the years, and he's he's hit some big tournaments for me. He's a winning tournament player. Um, we've both made some money from me staking him. Um, you got to make sure the person you're staking is going to ship you back. Um, I've never had a problem with staking somebody and having them not ship me back. I think when I owned the Poker Forum Venom Poker, I had a stable of like 20 guys I was staking in like 440s or $11 tournaments. And uh, I think there was like one guy that didn't report his results and went away for like 100 But um, for the most part, everybody that I was staking, you know, none of them were really professionals, but I made money off it they made a little money off it and um always check their results and if you're staking guys online always follow up and check their results i mean i advise people that even that stake me go ahead go look at my ptr um if you want to question me you know i'd always answer any anything you'd have to say um and give you the correct answer um but always make sure that your guys are reporting their results like i had times where i was getting staked where I would go out and win 4,000. It wouldn't show up on PTR. They'd miss the hands, but I'd always, you know, there, there were plenty of times where I'd report them, and there were times where I'd lost money where it wouldn't show up on PTR, and I lost. So, I mean, it evens out a little bit in the end with, with stuff like that, but always make sure that 
you're checking on your horse's results if you're staking people and always make sure that they're a winning player and and watch and see you know is are there sharp people staking this guy if there aren't sharp people staking this guy then why are you staking him i know a lot of people jsep kind of did a sob story when he ran that scam and you know a lot of people felt almost like they had personal relationships with him he showed up for radio every week People just did it more, you know, the sympathy factor and thought it would be a cool thing to follow, which I think the idea was pretty cool where he'd do that documentary. But uh, even if you looked at the thread, I just I brought up a lot of questions earlier. I didn't call him out as a scammer early in that thread, but, you know, I brought something up that, like, how are you going to make money over three months? I, I brought up playing fucking 510 Limit, you know, and uh, Kevin said the same thing. Like, you guys are staking God to play 510 Limit, something. And he, another thing, I was saying, how, how is he going to make money only getting 40% profits playing 510 Limit and playing tournaments that are uh, minus EV? And I didn't really get in, get you know, go back and forth with, with him on it too much because he was my partner at the time. And, um, you know, I didn't want to make him seem, make it seem like, uh, you know, I was giving him shit. But, you know, it all turned out to be true. Like, my questions were valid. Like, and it turns out in the end, yeah, he was just doing it to get the money. So always make sure that you're checking people's results. And I know a guy, uh, Liquid Siphon, who used to post on Donk Down. He did a ton of staking on, like, part-time poker. And he told me the way he did it was he would he would blindly stake certain guys if he saw that sharp people were staking people. So someone sells a piece for, like, three grand, and you could buy up to whatever amount of pieces. If he saw someone took 100 shares of somebody, and that guy's a sharp staker, then he would just follow and stake them. And he blindly would make, like, an extra 10 or 15 grand a year staking people just by um, following sharp people. So if you always follow sharp people and stake sharp guys... And, you know, you stay up on things, you can make money staking. Um, and another thing a lot of people are doing now is they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll get a staking stable going and, you know, they'll be an affiliate at the same time for different networks. And the only way they'll stake guys is if they play under them. So they're always getting like a percentage of their rake back no matter what because these guys are joining through them. So you could technically have a guy that's a slightly losing player or a guy who's a break-even player, but you'll still make money because you're getting a percent of a percentage of his rake off the uh, off the top as an affiliate. So always monitor your guys. Make sure they're winning players. and um, Make sure they have a good plan. Make sure they update every day. That's always one thing I felt that I did pretty good was – uh, and my biggest backer, a guy that put uh, 20 grand into my last stake, uh, you know, made me feel good that he wrote after I paid him back everything. I paid him back everything within like a week or 10 days as I pulled it off the site. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, China was very professional and reported his results every day. And I just try to give you a view from my world every day when I was updating. And I think that's the way it should be if you're being staked. You've got to give the guys that are staking you the common courtesy of letting them know what, exactly where you're at every day. And, um, you know, it's just uh, that's just what you have to do um, in order to provide people that made an investment in you. And um, it's just um, what you got to do. So um, let me see here. Uh, hold on. People stake you and you don't win. Do you owe them that money? Um, it depends. I mean, um, I always offer people makeup for my cash game. So if you, if I sold a thirty thousand stake and you stake me thirty thousand and I lost it all, 
and you want to stake me again for another 30,000, I got to pay you back that other 30,000 before I take any profits. So if, if I lost the initial 30,000 and you put all the money up, uh, I have to, and you stake me another 30,000 and let's say I win 30,000. So the second stake, we have a 60,000 roll. I got to pay you that 30,000. Then after whatever, after that, I get a percent of, um, that's why I always feel like, I mean, it helps me to, if I'm low on a roll and I need to get staked, it always helps me to, you know, to get staked and have a bigger bankroll. Um, but at the same time, giving that 30% away, uh, it just burns me inside. I, uh, although I'm appreciative and I, you know, it's great that people believe in me and, you know, and I, I make a money for me and make money for them. It really burns me when I have to cut that check. I mean, uh, just it's just the way it is um let me see here um and another thing it really depends on the deal like fly on the wall saying like uh like i'm actually backed somebody already bought um my action for the 5000 limit and the 2500 limit i'm staked for those two tournaments uh but i gave the backer uh 70% of the profit so if i profit anything or whatever I make, he's getting his stake back first, so he'll get 7500 back, and then he'll get 70% of the profits. I'm only playing for 30%, but um, some people will do it where they only get 40 or 50%, um, but they have makeup where you have to make up all the losses, like, over time. So, if, you know, if I blew 10000 in buy-ins this year, then, you know, next year if I score, it's got to come off that, but it would be a lower percent on a split or something like that, but... I'm just giving my backer um, a big cut, um, and I think he used to he used to do 50-50 with a lot of people. I'm actually giving him a better deal than anyone he's ever staked, uh, 70%. And um, you know, and I feel like I have as tough as the 5K and the 2500 uh, fields might be. I feel like I'll have an edge, or I'll feel very comfortable playing against anybody. I don't care if it's the five best players who people perceive are the five best players in the world. I'm comfortable playing against any lineup, nine max, six max, or even if it got shorthanded, I don't care who's in the game. Um, I just feel super comfortable playing against anybody now. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, nobody, you, you can't, yeah, you, you, you wrote, so he makes 15 an hour playing five ten limit. Uh, nobody makes money in that game. I mean, you can make money in a 5-10 limit game. If there's a kill on it, it goes to 10-20. But very, over the long term, very little. When you add in tips and you add in the rake, uh, it's just a tough game to beat. Even like 5-10 limit online, uh, if you put in super amount of hands and you're like 4-8 to eight tabling, yeah, you can make money in rake back. Uh, my buddy who made two 300000 last year playing... Uh, he played 5'10", 10, 10, 20, 15, 30, and some 30, 60 went ram, but he played a ton of 5'10". And that's why, like, live, it's just harder to make money unless you're in a you're playing a little bit bigger. Like, 10, 20 is even tough to beat live. 20, 40, you can certainly beat for a living. Uh, but like I said, I just wouldn't want to deal with the variance. Um, let's see here. Um... Why would I give up 70% when he's known to go 50-50? Because um, I'm a fair guy. I probably could have said 50-50, but 70%, um, I, I feel that's what he should get. I feel he should get more. Um, uh, 
I feel that's what he should get. And, you know, that's just the way it is. So, probably could have told him 50-50 and he probably would have said okay. Um, but, uh, I'd rather give him what, what, what he rightfully deserves and I'm gracious for him staking me. So, um, I'll give him the, the 70%. Um, it's the same thing when I'm playing cash games online. I could probably push, I could probably get a stake where I get 80 or not 85 or 90% that goes to me, to me and the backer would only would have to put all the money up and I'd get a little, they'd only get a little bit of the profit, but at the same time, uh, you, you know, it's it, even ten, if you got 10% of my profits in cash, you'd still have a very good ROI on your investment when it's all said and done. But 30, you know, a lot of people are, aren't going to put up the money unless they're, you know, even 30%. I'm not putting any money up, but I'm getting 70, but I, I give out the 30. Um, yeah, I agree. Always play with your own money. Uh, can't afford, don't play, but you know, like I said, I got in a situation where I ran my roll down and it would have been hard for me to get in and build my roll back up and play. I probably could have went back to the lower limits and played like three, six, five, ten heads up and play, took some shots at 10, 20. But I just got to a point with my bankroll where I, I paid all, you know, I, I had to pay rent every month. I had, uh, you know, all kind all my bills I had to pay, whatever my monthly nut was. And, um, it just made more sense for me to, to get staked and give the 30% up. And, you know, it, it took me a little while, but, um, now I'm back and I'm playing hundred percent on my own dime. It sucks. Get, it sucks when you get down to that point, but I'm glad I fought my way out of it, stuck with it. And, um, you know, I didn't have to go into any credit debt or do any borrowing or nothing like that. I, I, I got by, you know, another thing that got me by was, um, I had a lot of affiliate stuff that I set up right after Black Friday when um, when the merge network was the only network to play on. Uh, everybody was coming from stars in full tilt. So, uh, you know, I knew a lot of people and I signed a lot of guys up for like different uh, sites on merge. And, you know, I, I got a, a so every month I had so, a, a, a paycheck coming in. Sometimes it was a little bit. Sometimes it was a lot of money when the games were booming on there. So. You know, I always make sure I have other stuff going on besides the poker that'll help my income. So sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Um, let's see here. Let's see. Yeah, uh, Beer and Poker says, I never loan people anything, and at the same time, I just don't borrow. It creates headaches. It certainly does. Uh, I typically don't borrow. Um very rarely I'll borrow. I think uh, I think I borrowed from one of my buddies this past summer for like three weeks, and um, the only reason I borrowed and he lent it to me was because I helped him get. I had a way to get a cash out quicker, and I cashed his money off, and he got his money off quicker, and he didn't have to pay juice on it because someone owed me a favor, and um, it helped me because I got to play in some games, um, and. Either way, even if I busted in the games, he knew that I could pay him back out of uh, some of that old affiliate money that I had coming in from uh, merge signups that I got right after Black Friday. And that was actually a gold mine for people that really focused on it. I actually waited a couple months after Black Friday until I started to um, try and tap into that. And um, it was um, it's the same thing that people that got the affiliates going back in 2000. Whenever, when when full tilt, whatever went up, people were making 
there were people that retired and made millions or hundreds of thousands off of signing people up for those sites and party. And that's uh, another thing I think uh, where Micon could have made a lot of money with NWP was uh, if he had a lot of the affiliate stuff going, he did have somebody he didn't push it hard enough. And he was letting, you know, I remember Reggie Man put up an ad on there for his rake back site. And, and you know, Micon would just take whatever the ad money was. And then Reggie Man got to, you know, put his affiliate stuff up on there. And he probably made a killing off of all the people that signed up for whatever sites he was promoting. And, you know, a lot of other sites did too. Like, uh, so it was the same way after Black Friday. No one could play on Stars in full tilt in the U.S. anymore. So, People had to sign up somewhere, so if you sign people up, you can make a lot of money. But now, all that affiliate money is pretty much done because either people either stop playing or, um, you know, people lose interest or somebody gives them a better deal. And, um, you know, that's just the way it goes. And it's just the way the market's going right now where they're restricting player pools and all that stuff. So there's just not a ton of money left it anymore unless you have something like solidly built up over time there's always going to be other affiliates out there trying to steal guys that are signed up through you so uh, let's see here um gonna go down and see if we have any more questions um and the last thing we're going to touch on, and if anyone wants to call in, I forgot to give out the number. It's 978-357-8585. If anyone wants to call in, talk about anything, you're more than welcome to. Um, last thing I'm going to touch on is uh, MTTs. And I talked about this earlier. I mean, you know, if you hit a couple and you make a big some big scores it's good and you can do a lot with that money but uh for every winning mtt player there's a hundred losers uh even if the losers are profitable uh the backers usually make a lot of money in these because uh you know people long term get in makeup and then they get another score and they have to pay that they always have to pay the backers back um so the backers can make pretty good money on these, but if you're bankrolling yourself, like I said, you could go 40 or 50 in a row without cashing. Typically, it doesn't happen, but I've seen it happen to some of the best players, uh, and I've seen some, you know some of the best players go on heaters. Um, like I remember Charter back when when he blew up um, on the tourney scene online, he killed he was killing tourneys for the longest time. I don't know how he's doing now. Haven't really followed him, but it was the same thing when he he had a couple EPT final tables. And he did really well. Um, and you see a lot of guys go through short bursts like that. I don't know how he did after that. Um, but like a guy like Mercier. Mercier, like I said earlier, those huge scores and really nothing since then. And unless you're sponsored or getting backed, then, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll go broke. The, the rake's going to eat you up in those in the 10Ks. And uh, same thing with online. There's just so many players are getting so much better. There's still a lot of donks, but it's just harder to consistently make a living playing just MTTs. So you always got to have cash games or sit and goes or some other form on the side to balance it out. It's just so hard to, uh, it's so hard to, um, to make a living doing those. Um, let me see here. Yeah. The number is nine, seven, eight, three, five, seven, Eight five eight five. If anyone wants to call in, and the variance in those are just so crazy. Like I said, uh, I recently had like a like I said, eighteen days in a row I won in cash. Um, you just, it's just not going to happen in tournaments. Sure, 
long term, it's totally different where, you know, you could have one score and that could, you could lose for the next six months and not hit anything. And that one score will overshadow that. But, uh, you know, it just seems, it just seems to me, you just don't see the same guys in, in MTTs. It's the same with cash games. Some cash games can't hold on to their money, but the variance and luck factor in the tournaments is just sick. Um, let me see. Yeah. Jeff Manson, he's another one. I mean, he won those bracelets. And then, uh, yeah, he didn't do too much after that. I think he did win the Borgata Poker Open, but that was like a 5K then. Um, and I, I think he does okay. I don't I don't know if he's backed. I don't know what kind of cash games he played, but I think he did have a dry spell there. Even Mizraki, before he, you know, he had all those uh, WPT wins in the, like, 2004 or 2005, whenever it was. And then you didn't hear about him until, like, uh, what was it, two summers ago where he had that huge World Series, but... I think Antonius was staking him then, and he was probably in makeup from a bunch of other tournaments. So who knows? I mean, you don't know the correct figures, but after you pay all that makeup back and then you, you split with your backer, you know, it's um, it's just not a, a lose a winning proposition unless you're really sharp. Like guys like Sheets and Backs seem like they run a pretty good operation, or they did when they were online and with live guys that, you know, they had a main event champ win, so... Um, you got to run good a little bit and you got to be very smart about it. And then you have guys like Eric Lindgren who, you know, had like a stable of like, I don't know how many guys, 15, 20, whatever it was, was in debt millions from gambling and he's still staking people. And, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of his horses just ran bad or he probably didn't keep up with it as good as he could and got killed. Um, let me see here. Calling number 978. Three five seven, eight five eight five, and if um, if um, I do take the call, and uh, I might have to adjust the volume around if you guys can't hear for some reason. My Skype when I get callers, it it doesn't um, it doesn't come up too well. Let me see here. Move down. Yeah, Ms. Rocky went broke, lost his home. Uh, fly on the wall says totally broke and then yeah he had that huge world series he doesn't he he doesn't win that huge world series he's uh pretty much fucked um but yeah um for every big mtt long-term winner there's a hundred losers that's why and the rake's huge too and obviously there's not as many uh online satellites to get into wsop and satellite of and uh wpts anymore because uh sites just don't offer them um so the fields are a lot smaller. The players are a lot better. I, I can't even imagine. I haven't looked at any of these turn, tourney entries. Uh, all right, hold on a second. We've got a call coming in. Caller, are you there? Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. Good. Who, who, who am I speaking to? Is this Huntress? Yes, this is Huntress or Diana. Hey, how's it going? Um, what, uh, well, you got any questions or anything you'd like to talk about? Well, apparently they want me to talk about my uh, my biggest win, which was the other Sunday. Okay. <laughs> how how much did you win? It wasn't much, but it was like fourteen hundred. I only put in two hundred. Was it a tourney win? Yeah, it was a tournament. On which site? Uh, no, I was live. Oh, it was live. Where did you play it? Uh, Delaware Park. Oh, okay. So you uh you hit a nice score at Delaware Park. A lot of donks playing there, or what? Um, yeah, I mean, tournaments are much better there. Um, 
Uh, West Virginia is great for cash. There's apparently a lot of gamblers out there. Right. But, I mean, I only get to play, you know, live games. I don't actually get to play online other than free sites. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I've I've heard the West Virginia games are pretty crazy and really spewy. Um, How far is that a far ride from you, or is it pretty close over the line? Uh, It's about an hour and a half. Um, it's about an hour for Delaware, but um, Maryland is getting their first table games actually starting this month. Awesome. Yeah, so. yeah, they're starting to creep up and pop up everywhere. I mean, most states have at least poker rooms now. I mean, I'm in Mass, and there's there's nothing live here at all. And um, But they're going to be putting up casinos, and they're in the works. They should be up in the next few years. But other than that, my only options here for live play, which really stinks, is drive an hour and a half or to two hours to Foxwoods or Mohegan Sun, and that's just too far to make a trek every day to try and right, you know, right. make a living. If there were 20 minutes, yeah, I might take a shot playing live. But, uh, yeah, congratulations on your um, on your scores. Uh, that's that, On your score, that's very nice. Uh, how, how much well, was the buy-in? 200, and it was uh, 191 players, and I got out six. Oh, wow. And it was 12 and a half hours play. Oh, wow. That's a nice. Yeah, it's a nice little score. So yeah, it's a um, long day. So do you do you post on the site here? I have not. I actually just saw um, uh, John uh, posted on Twitter. Okay. Yep. So cool. He's blow, blowing up uh, the new show here. Turn it and burn it. So uh, awesome. Yeah, glad you checked in and uh, listened to the show. And yeah, you should create an account and uh, start posting for sure. Um, so do you play online at all? No, just free stuff because, you know, in the state of Maryland, I can't play oh, okay. legally online. Right. So, you know, like I'm actually playing right now as we're speaking. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where you, what do you play on? Like, um... I'm on Golden Nugget. I've played the WSOP site. Okay. I mean, it's just. It just makes me mad other than like the Golden Nugget at least gives away like free rooms and stuff like that where other sites you just play with fake money and right. there's no real rewards other than so so maryland it's banned there they won't take any um they won't take any type of uh action on like black chip or like lock no or... i've actually tried to sign up and then of course it asks what state you're in right. and it's like nope can't create an account here yeah that's it's pretty sickening and disgusting but um at least, you know, we could see some movement with, uh, you know, Vegas is going to be going live, Atlantic City. Yeah. Are you close to Atlantic City at all or New Jersey? Uh, three hours. Oh, that ain't too bad. Well, you could make trips there. Um, well, actually, no, not for online, but if you're ever in town, you could, you know, you could play online when you're there. Um, yeah. You know, and Vegas is going to go live, so hopefully other states follow and they get a huge pool and everything goes federal where, you know, you can just sit at home and play in your pajamas instead of... Uh, getting up and going to the casino right right but i i have a huge advantage at the table so i don't mind playing live right. um you know guys will tell me their hands i've had cash where guys give me my money back when i lose right. to them right. um <laughs> so, you, so not a lot of people get that advantage right. like you know online <laughs> do, you, do you feel that like guys play you a lot softer and you can get a lot more action out of them because you're a girl Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's not just being a girl. You have to be a pretty girl. You can't be just right, some right, bad right. old chick at the table and they'd be like, yeah, I'm going to give her money to her. Right. You right. know? And you, you 
talk nice to them and, you know, so you just be su- sweet. You, you, you sucker them in, huh? Yeah, and then you go all in and, you know. <laughs> do, do, do you really find that they, like, they'll call you off with, like, weak hands, though, because you're a female? Um, yeah, they definitely try to aggressive play me. Right. Of course. Sure. But then they're also scared of me because they're like, we don't know what females play. Right, you know right, what I right. mean? They could play anything, and right. they could try to catch it, and they'll catch it. <laughs> For sure. Everybody has, like, a pre-read on how they feel somebody would play. And, uh, yeah, I guess because, like, you know, for every probably, what, 97 guys, there's, like, maybe two or maybe three females out of 100. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. So. Um, at the final two tables, it was uh, – there was four females, actually, out of the final two tables, which was 20 people. Um, what's funny is, in one hand, I knocked out two of them. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> crazy. I mean, you know, I, I, I was polite and shook, shook their hands and stuff like that, but, you know, they're just another player to me. Right. Yeah, I've found from, like, any World Series of poker events I've played in, uh, anytime there's a girl at the table... Um, Guys always give them more action. I mean, as a female, you could just sit back, I think, play tight and just play your hands, bet for value, and you're going to get called. Um, How hot were the other females? No, just, just, they weren't, not at all. They were older women. Okay, Okay, Uh, so you got any questions or anything else you want to add? or? Well, this is only like, God, I've only been playing in casinos for about, a year this this February. Right. Ask her if she is queen size. Who's a queen size? I don't know. They're they're asking. They want me to ask you dirty questions here in the chat. I uh, see this. It's, I'm not queen size. I'm tiny. <laughs> I weigh about 110 wet. Oh wow. So <laughs> I'm this tiny girl. <laughs> All right. But uh. Um, so I went out last year just to uh, see what, you know, the WSOP was all about. I mean, I didn't play in anything except for, like, the deep stacks. Right. And um, I actually cashed in one of them, which was crazy, you know, for being, like, my first year. Um, I got out, like, 15th out of, like, 504 players. Oh, wow. Th- those are the uh, Venetians, right? No, 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 no. This is at the uh, oh. WSOP. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the ones at the Rio. Yeah, they have them at the Venetian. I think the WSOP at the Rio, they run them daily, too, and it's pretty much the same tournament. But, yeah, those are really soft fields and good action. Do you have any, uh, do you have any plans to play any events this year? Yeah, because I'm going to be, um, if my gaming license goes through, I'll be one of the first dealers in the state of Maryland. Oh, wow. Uh, um, and so guess what I get to play? I can go play event number one. Wow, there you go. Yeah, the dealer's event. Yes, for $500 and try to try to win a bracelet. <laughs> right. Well, you could go and play the, uh, what is it, the the ladies' event, which is a $1,000 buy-in. And if men want to buy in, they're, they're going to have to pay ten grand. I bet you. Yes, I like that. I saw that, and I was just like, well, there's a way of getting around that. How, how do you feel about um, men playing in women's events? Um... Do you think there should be women's only events? Yeah, I really think so. I mean, they play crazy anyway, so why would a guy want to even venture into that territory? But um, I really do think there should be women only events, you know? Right. 
because we're already playing with mostly guy fields. Right. You know, you know, likelihood a guy's going to be, you know, a girl's going to be at your table is is a very small percentage. You know, like usually when I'm at a table, it's nine guys and me. Right. Do you do you, a, do you feel that they should give bracelets for women's events too, or? I think they should. You do. I mean, yeah, I think they should. They should, you know. See, I'm actually against that. Not that I have really? anything against women. I think I don't think they should give bracelets to the seniors' event the women's event or the dealer's event just because it's not an open event and not everybody can play it. Um, I, I'm not opposed to having a women's only event, but I mean, a bracelet is something that's supposed to be very prestigious and actually it's watered down now because they have so many tournaments. I just feel that it should be an open event and everybody should be participated, be able to participate and play in order to get the famed, you know, bracelet or whatever. Um, right. But, you know, I mean, they can make the argument either way. Like I said, the bracelets are watered down more now because they run a million events now every year. So either way, it doesn't really matter to me. But I just wanted to see, uh, you know, from a female point of view, how you felt about that. Um, but it is, it is pretty... My first, Go ahead. My first uh, I want to call big event, was last year. You know, i only been playing in a casino for about a month. My friends were like, let's go play the ladies' event, the WSOPC up in um, Caesars. Right. And I was, like, freaked out because I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this is a big event. There's going to be, like, people that know what the hell they're doing, and you guys are going to take me with you. So I actually did really well. Um, I came basically two away from the money. They did a double bubble, so I still got my money back. But, um, you know, my friends got knocked out within one to three hours in, and I lasted ten hours. Oh, wow. Um, So I was... You know, pretty proud of myself, even though I didn't technically make it into the money. Right. Yeah, it's always good to get a right. deep run and come close to cash or whatever. Um, you know, just to know that you played pretty good. Yeah, it was two away from the money. Yeah. You know, and it was like my biggest event. You know. Right. <laughs> so it was it was quite exciting. There you go. <laughs> That's great. So. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm very much a newbie to this whole thing, but I'm very happy that I'm. Yeah, I'm so. doing pretty good, I think. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, just study, practice, and you know, keep uh, suckering the guys, and you'll you'll have some success for sure. So, well, it's it's like um, I played on my birthday in a tournament, mm-hmm. and a gentleman. I raised it up. I was under the gun. I had tens. Um, you know, I raised it five times blind, and uh, a gentleman at the end's like, "Is it your birthday?" And I'm like. Yes, and so he like, you know, quadruples my blind basically, and of course I have to fold, and he shows that he has kings, and he's like, the only reason I'm showing you this, you know, it wouldn't been anybody else, but you know, this is your one time seeing this, blah blah blah, and I'm like, okay, thanks. Right. <laughs> That's always good. You know, they'll be showing you the, their hands, and yeah. oh yeah, it's it's crazy, you know, like. I mean, people even tell me like you really you should fold, and then they'll 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 show it to me what they had. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. They want to get the chatter going, and yeah, they, yep. uh, yeah. They, I'm perfectly fine. I will take any advantage at the table that sure. I can. <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, there's people actually. You know, there's people online that will um, like 
will definitely mask themselves and make themselves look like a female. Like, I remember there was a player on Merge that was named Sexy Julia, but I know it was a guy. And, you know, I, I would watch the table sometimes, and, you know, some guys would get on there and, like, start conversations. Like, it's just crazy, and, and they'll just give them more action because they think they're a female. Or, you know, they'll just, you know, it's probably some nerdy poker player that just wants to talk, that never t- talked to a female before, you know what I mean? Right, they just right. give them more action, so... It's a huge advantage, um, a decent size advantage in some spots for sure for females. So uh, that's about it. But uh, I want to thank you for calling in, and um, glad you're listening, and glad you signed up for an account here. Um, and good luck to you out at the World Series this year, and with uh, any poker play you have in the future. Thank you so much. All right, thanks for coming on. Have a good night. Mm-hmm. Bye. All right, take care. So that was the uh, the Huntress new member here at. Uh, Poker Fraud Alert thinks she found the site through uh, Pikachar, most likely, because uh, he tweeted out the show. want to thank him for tweeting out the show tonight, and I uh, want to thank um, Asian Spa tweeting out, tweeting out that there was a show tonight. Uh, really appreciative uh, for them uh, spreading the word that there was a show tonight. Uh, let me see if we have any. You guys have any other questions or um Anybody else want to um, call in? Uh, pretty much covered a lot. Uh, didn't really get into, you know, a ton of strategy or tonight, but the strategy that I did give you is what you want to do and how you want to attack tables and, uh, you know, just little things that can contribute to your EV at the um, at the poker table. Uh, thanks, Dirty Ernie. Um, yeah, the other night, I mean... I'd been putting thoughts into this show for months, even, like, years um, of, like, what I was going to cover in this show. And the other night, I just grabbed a pad and paper, and I just started writing things down, just notes. And uh, I actually got three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages of uh, blue and white notepad and just wrote down and wrote down and wrote down and wrote down and wrote down. And I don't know, I feel it went okay, and went through everything pretty easy and uh just tried to get my point across but you know if you're gonna play and you're gonna try and play seriously try and play heads up some form i think the future of uh poker is going to be in pot limit omaha even that's starting to dry out a little bit now but um you know you can make a lot of money there and you could still move up quick and you could still get away with making uh you know not, a, I wouldn't say an easy six-figure income, but it's very, you know, depending on where you're playing, you could pull in six figures, per, uh, probably at PLO, easier than you could at any other um, game. So, uh, oh yeah, let me just, I've, I didn't go through the, uh, the chat. There were a lot of questions that people posted in chat. Actually, we'll let this go a little bit longer. I'm just going to take a quick few minute break, and then uh, I'm just going to rip through these questions that uh, came up about Two months ago, in the um, in the original thread that I made, I'll try my best to answer these uh, questions um, as you know as, as deeply as I can. So, um, be back in a few minutes.
gonna rip through some of these questions um, that were in the original thread see if uh, see what we got here uh, one second All right, sandwich let's see what he posted says he played with Quaternion World Series event. Sick learning experience. Be interested in listening to him as guest. Yeah, tonight I was supposed to have uh, him and Sheets on, um, but I didn't follow up with them, uh, and I just decided to do this spur of the moment tonight. But uh, Sheets did send me a message and said he would be on um, another show, which would be great because uh, I think there's a lot of stuff in the staking world he could touch on that a lot of people uh, probably wouldn't know about or a lot of questions that they posted here. Um, and there's no one better to ask when it comes to staking than him because um, he's very successful at it and he's probably seen every up and down there is when it comes to staking um, okay so sandwich says recreational limit hold'em player would like to think he takes the game seriously 1020 at the Borgata uh, four or five sessions a month results are mixed largely based on the types of opponents the room is busy, multiple tables going. He can't find that he blends in when necessary. Grind and isolate worst plays with my big hands. Find value and even get some respect on bluffing. However, there's one t when there's one 1020 table going, he finds himself up against regulars that are, he considers very good. Well, short answer to that before I read the rest of this is 
you're in that situation. If you're just playing recreationally, then it's probably a bad game, and you shouldn't be playing 1020 lives. Barely beatable. It probably is, but probably hard to beat um, for any decent clip unless you're playing for fun. But if it's a bad game, then get out of it. And if you're just playing recreational for fun, you could probably do better sitting at a no limit game, one two two four, or um, even probably um, better off playing at a five ten or something. But it's always a good learning experience, maybe to play with some better players live so you can get a better read on them because you're going to be in games with them um, a lot if you're playing at the same casino. So anyways, he feels they're targeting him, raising him more often, trying to isolate me. Well, they probably are. So um, yeah, if they're mixing it up with you post-flop, just, post uh, just stick with a solid, tight game plan. And, um, you know, if they're trying to exploit you, just re-exploit them with your better hands. And um, let me see here. Some of his sessions against these players, table gets shorthanded, have been pretty devastating losses. Well, that's always the case, um, especially when you're not getting enough um, action in um, to see what your true win rate is. I've had, I remember it was me and the guy who was in the chat earlier, how quaint. We used to wind up three-handed a lot, and um, my three-handed game wasn't on point at the time. His was pretty good, and... Uh, I had some sick, uh, quick downswings where I would destroy, I'd be destroying six max, and then the table got the three-handed, and I felt he played a lot better than me three-handed in a lot of situations, and, uh, you know, I'd have some, I'd lose 100 big bets really quick, so, um, gotta work on two-handed, three-handed, four-handed in short-handed games, and you gotta change up your game a little bit. Uh, play a little more aggressive, but at the same time, not shoot off. you just got to find that proper balance in those situations. Um, I've had some devastating losses in those situations too, but if you play them correctly, um, you're going to have some pretty good upswings too. But that's another reason why I hate live plays because um, you just don't get the volume in to see your true win rate. Um, and, you know, if guys do have an edge on you, they're just going to keep exploiting you until you figure out how to ex exploit them back. So, um, let's see here. Uh, you had to counteract being targeted this that way. It's like I said, you just got to, uh, you got to fight fire with fire. And you got to play back at them as well, especially when it gets shorthanded. But at the same time, don't spew off. Um, you know, don't try and go in with like air balls and just, you know bite your way all the way down you're just going to play a balanced attack and uh you know uh maybe raise a lot of flops check for free cards you know uh you just gotta figure out what you're gonna do to balance out what they're doing to you um waiting yeah if you wait you say waiting for good hands and draws isn't working if you just sit around waiting for good hands or waiting for draws they're gonna pick you apart you're gonna have to play a large percentage of your hands protect a lot of your uh you have to be protecting blinds more because just about every hand when it gets shorthanded is going to be raised so you're just going to have to get in there mix it up fight back but at the same time don't spew um that's what i think uh let me see here um sheets more questions for sheets we'll get to those uh next show i run uh what fergie writes what do top limit holding players hand ranges by position look like these days uh what kind of hands are you playing versus an ep open um i mean really it all depends it depends are you ever calling a raise 
Or is it always a three bet? Well, if I'm playing if a tougher player raises, I'm never cold calling. I'm always three betting. If I'm coming into the pot and it's a tougher player, uh, the only time I'll limp behind an open raise is if I know there's people behind me that are going to limp along as well that are bad players. Otherwise, I'm always three betting against somebody that opens. Uh, it really depends on what the ranges look like by positions because everything depends on the game you're playing in. I mean, there's some guys that will open up under the gun in a six-max game just for the fact that they know that it, if it folds around or whatever, they're going to have position on the guy in the big blind who's a donk. So, you know, sometimes you'll see a lot of guys opening like under the gun or under the gun plus one a lot weaker if there's a couple of trashy players in the blinds. Um, of course, you know, that could hurt them somebody else three bets them but again uh if you're opening up light in those spots you're gonna you know they're not gonna really they're probably gonna put you on something stronger than you are unless they track a lot of your play and they see exactly what you're doing and why you are and in that case if you're opening up light in an earlier position people are gonna start three betting you lighter um let's see he says he's curious because when he played he won a lot of limit hold them by playing tight yeah, if you play tight in some spewy games, um, you can mop up. But at the same time, if you mix it up and play a lot of pots in a lot of spewy games, you can make a lot of money as well. The game has evolved a ton. Um, since like 2004, 2005, it has changed immensely. And the top players, it's almost become where, where they're going to win no matter what, playing their style. And most guys are playing a similar style. Some guys a little different, but... Um, the game has changed. It just keeps changing. Players keep getting better and better and better um, until they get to the point where just about everything they do is like 99% correct most of the time, and they're just going to wind up beating the game just by default because they're that good, um, even versus like average or other pros. So um, let me see. This may be too general, but I would be interested in hearing how you play a just strategy during heads-up or three-handed game. Uh, Granada Roger writes this patterns you might be looking for. Um, it, it really depends. Like I said, a lot of my answers going to be, it depends. I mean, uh, you know, if somebody's three betting a lot, well, I got to figure out how I got to counteract that. Do I four bet more? Am I better off flat calling? Uh, what guys that lead into me a lot? Uh, what does that mean? You got to figure that stuff out. Maybe call speculatively just to see what they're doing, figure it out, and then you destroy them. It's just like a puzzle. You just got to look for all little subtle patterns. Uh, if a guy check raises you, does he always have a pair? Does he have at least middle pair? Do they check raise draws? Do they wait for draws? Um, you just got to figure all that stuff out. Um, do they check raise with air? Um, how do they react when you check raise them relentlessly? Um, just st stuff like that. Um, you just got to look for all different kinds of things and then you figure it out, you take your notes, and, you know, usually you can get a game plan where you can destroy somebody. Um, let me see if there's any other serious questions here. Um, something on staking. Idiot's Guide to Staking Poker Players. I already went through that. Just uh, stake winners and follow sharp people and get your money in good. It's no different than... Uh, picking cash games to play in. If you put your money in good spots, then you, you should be able to uh, make some money. Um, hmm. Let's see. And the last question was, do I have a regular date and time for the show? Uh, there won't be a regular date and time for the show. I'm just going to run it when I feel like I have something to talk about or whatever. Um, 
maybe I'll add a little sports in here and there, a little bit of variety, but more often than not, just be poker and what's going on in the poker world. Um, and that's about it. I'll take a quick look at the chat, see if anyone has anything. If not, um, I will end it. And always remember, uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter, at Chinamaniac. That's at C-H-I-N. A A M A N I A C at China Maniac, and uh, I'll be providing updates when I'm at the World Series this year uh, for whatever events I'm in through Twitter. Might even be posting them directly to the forum, little rail, um, whatever else. Probably start planning to use Twitter a little bit more. I don't use Twitter that much uh, as it is, but I might start tweeting out a little more. I'm more of a Facebook guy, but if I got something to say, it might be going to. Uh, Twitter. Let's see. Got a couple questions here. Um, yeah, that's that's not a bad idea, Huntress either. Uh, go to the table with a hundred, run it up, and leave. It's not a bad idea to do live because you're never gonna almost unless the game's insanely good, just stay and stay in the game, but. Like I said, you're never going to be able to play enough live. It's going to take a long time to get your true win rate. It's going to take years uh, to get where you are. Um, China, do you think one day Juan will serve one day in jail for his theft here? He very well could. I'm not sure how that's going right now, but I know there was a 137-page report uh, turned over to the police. Um, and they want to pursue it and if they have enough evidence um then yeah he very well could if he's on if he committed all these crimes while he's on probation then um you know he will get fucked uh, the fact that he uh stole from the poker community it's not, i don't think there's too much that can be done about that uh but stealing from a charity and defrauding a charity sure um so, yeah, he could do time, especially because he's on probation and all this shit happened. So, um, that's that. Um, let's see. So, yeah, that's about it. So, yeah, keep keep an eye on the forums. Make sure you tune in. Druff usually has his show tomorrow night, which is uh, Tuesday night. Uh, hopefully, Drex will be back on with him soon. Uh, if not, you know. I've drop on there, maybe some revolving co-hosts in uh, this show here. I'll run it once in a while, and come the fall, I'll probably go back to doing the Zone Blitz every week where I cover college football, NFL football, and I give you a bunch of wagers uh, and all my picks and my insight on fantasy. Um, so that's that. And um, I want to um, thank everybody for tuning in, and um, have a good night.